0: This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is brought to you by Maritime Developments Limited, specialists in design, maintenance and upgrades of lifting and handling equipment. From inspection and structural analysis to maintenance and repair, their knowledge ranges across mechanical, hydraulic, electrical and software design. This complete in-house capability allows MDL to offer a turnkey solution for vessel dockings, overhauls of platform cranes and winches or upgrades to your onshore facilities. Find out more at maritimedevelopments.com and look for MDL Asset Maintenance and Engineering.
1: Well, <laughs>
0: It's Wednesday, and do you know what that means? Welcome to episode 30 of the ABZ Football Podcast. I'm Gary Scott, and joining me this week is Gavin Baxter, and a welcome return to Graham Steele.
2: Gents, how's it going? At this stage, fine, because we've not really gone into the dawns yet, so fine for the purposes of this bit. I was going to say, Graham's return, it's kind of like
3: a Lazarus kind of story, or as I like to put it <laughs> in the Scottish football terms, Michael Devlin returning to the
2: warm-up against Sid Mirren or Ross County, whoever it was. Yeah, very kind of you to give me a short-term deal to prove my uh, lack of (laughs) fitness. That's very kind of you, boys. (laughs) Like a new
0: signing. (laughs) And in a week that saw Wraith Rovers attract headlines across the globe for all the wrong reasons, Jim Leishman went all stone roses at East End Park, and Kilmarnock were well and truly decked at Gayfield. It's another busy episode of the ABZ FP for you to sink your lug holes into. We start up with our review of Amateur Hour at and Vale before we move on to check in on the women's team. Our loanees and Lone Watch before we preview this week's huge, huge doubleheader, a Celtic Visit Pathology on Wednesday evening, and our season-defining cup tie at Fir Park next Saturday. And after the break, it's the return of our series of interviews with Don's personalities of past and present. We're pretty excited about this one. For episode 30, it's fair to say. It's a man who joined the Don's, in January 2014, going on to make 197 appearances in red, scoring 88 eight goals in the process, got the all-important winning penalty kick in the 2014 League Cup final. It's Adam Rooney. But first, Livingston 2, Aberdeen 1, Saturday, 5th of February 2022. The Tony Mac SPFL Premiership. Well... Three changes in the starting lineup for the Dons from Tuesday's draw and Dingwall, with Scott Brown and Dylan McGee dropping to the bench to be replaced by Teddy Jenks and Adam Montgomery getting his Aberdeen debut. Joe Lewis missing out altogether. Gary Woods in the sticks with Tom Ritchie on the bench. And that all meant that the captain's armband was passed to Ross McCrory on his 50th league appearance for the Dons. Johnny Hayes also making his way into the top 40 of the AFC all time appearance list with this one. Two changes for the hosts after their midweek defeat to St Johnston. Adam Lewis and Christian Montano coming in for Scott Pittman. And Odin Bailey with Joel Noble missing out completely due to suspension. x on. Bruce Anderson leading the line for the Lions. And guys, we just spoke before we started recording. I'm going to be quite honest. I really can't be bothered going through a deep dive blow-by-blow blow account of this one. All that needs to be said... A very very typical defeat um, for Aberdeen in recent weeks. Loads of possession, dominating the data, um, not really creating any clear cut chances of note, with the exception of probably Christian Ramirez's goal back. Two soft goals to concede. Just an all round bad 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 afternoon at the office once again. And how many times have we said that this
3: season? Um, I've just I'm watching the. Highlights is not the right term. The collection of events that are on YouTube, <laughs> and it's just it's just embarrassing. It's just pish. I'm watching the goals we've conceded. That the second goal's unforgivable. The second goal's not good. The First goal's not good. I didn't even realise how bad it was at the time. But like, there's two people pointing to the guy who's in the middle of the pitch, 20 yards from our goal, with no one in front of him, just pointing at other people to take to take like the the job. It's just and yeah, we were dreadful. Dreadful, um, Liam from the Albany
2: Podcast. You're welcome. Yeah, there's not really much I can add, uh, other than on a personal level. Um, Jason Holt got booked, so my unbookable midfielder <laughs> is clearly bookable now. So uh, I look even dafter than I than I did before we started this evening. Uh, yeah, I don't really think there's much more. We've joked about it before, uh, you know, before we we started up um, tonight and other evenings. We, we just take the review section from the last couple of weeks, edit over the the name of the team, we've <laughs> yeah. lost to this time and then boom, done, put it out. It's just the same nonsense, um, week in, week out. And it doesn't really feel like there's the there's any sort of progress or things are starting to look a little bit better. Just
0: briefly, I guess, on it, I mean, I'm gonna try and desperately find um some elements of like positivity or something. I don't know. Um, blind optimism, maybe. Good luck with that. The one thing I would say is it, it, the first goal was a shocker. It's, it's a really, really bad goal to lose. Anyway, the, the is it Obi? I think it's a nice little flick um, to deflect Anderson's shot up in the goal, but it just should never get to that that situation from a from a defensive free kick. The um, Kevin Clancy, fuck me! Have we all seen the penalty that he doesn't give us here? when Lewis Ferguson gets hauled down in the box at 1-0. I mean, Jesus Christ, that's two penalties, two absolute stonewallers at Clancy's not giving us now since the winter break came back. So there's a very good argument to we should be 1-1 at that point. We still fashion absolutely nothing, don't get me wrong, in open play until Ramirez scores. And then in the last um, five minutes, Jett has a, a, a decent shot, which is blocked on the line. End of the day of the week, it probably flies in. We could have easily got out of jail from Livingston with a two-two. draw, To be quite honest, which we would have probably scarcely deserved. I'm not saying we would deserved it, but there are certainly elements to our season, to the game again, which reflects part of the season that we're. I don't feel that we're getting the rub of the green in certain instances. It's fair to say.
3: I think it's um, telling that there's been no real outrage over Clancy's performance. Yeah, on Saturday. Um, it would be far too easy to point the finger at the referee and say he's the reason we lost the game. Uh, there's far bigger issues that we need to address. We need to take care of ourselves there. We were dreadful. We were outfought again. It's the same thing that keeps happening. I um, No shape, no plan going forward. So soft at the back. And yeah, just not up to it. Um, recurring
2: theme of the year. And I don't see it changing much like them. Your points on the referee are valid, but it's also absolutely the case that um, the result is our fault. Not, uh, you're right to highlight it, and I absolutely agree with you. But I think it's also that we're all in agreement that um, that's not something to be hiding behind. Uh, and I think the fact that there's not the outrage around that, most people are of the opinion that we were just woeful. That you know that wasn't we weren't robbed. We were just never in it.
0: Yeah, I, I'm not. I, I should say for the avoidance of doubt, I'm not trying to use this as some sort of like excuse for anything. It's just a. It's one of those scenarios where you look and you go, I do feel across a lot of the season so far when it's come to the rub of the green, I don't feel we're kind of getting our share of luck per se as the season goes. But that doesn't. I'm not trying to say that doesn't excuse how poor the overall performance was um, on on Saturday. I think the thing I find almost most disappointing to an extent is after the game in Stephen Glass's post-match interview, you know, they're talking about the fact that the team knows what you're going to expect to get at Livingston. And we all know what you're going to get at Livingston. It's going to be a battle. They're going to be in your face. They're going to make it difficult. They're going to make it niggly. You're going to have to win the battle first before you get an, even an opportunity to try and play football, let alone anything else. You need to win that battle in, in order to get the three points. And we just looked really passive again. And, not up for that fight, and not up for that battle. And the the players will have been made aware of that right the way through the week. Stephen Glass is saying they absolutely were. And that's almost the most disappointing thing about it is that we just seem to wilt in the face of it becoming a real scrappy battle on a horrendous pitch in terrible conditions. We just didn't seem up for it. And that's almost the most worrying thing. And that, for me, is probably the first time this season I've looked at our squad... And I've felt a concern about whether they're actually playing for the manager. If I'm honest,
2: yeah, I've seen a lot of people saying that the players don't like they don't, you know—they don't care and stuff like that. I, I'm not personally of that opinion. I, I don't feel we're there yet. And I, I you know, we we're going back. Um, I can't remember what it was it was a good few months ago. Obviously, think when things were worse and there was some stuff in the media, it's never looked like that. But I, I know what you mean. If um, if they're not reacting to what he says, he's telling them something's not quite right. They're either, you know, maybe, maybe a point to that they they don't really have the sort of the confidence in what they're being told. Uh, and I feel like if that starts to break down that relationship, there's not really any recovering from that. And, you know, and what it means at the end of the day is you can't bin out 11 professional players on contracts. It's always a manager that has to, to bear the brunt of that one. Um, I think it's it's just I think if you're losing and you're just not competing, that's really tough to take.
3: Yeah, I think like I'm not maybe in the situation of thinking that the team have downed tools as such. I just think it looks like there's just a real lack of direction in in the game plan and what they're actually expected. And all the chopping and changing can't yeah. be helping that. And when it comes to that fighting spirit, you look at the league table and we're in this very strange situation of being seventh in the league, four points off of third with a game in hand, and we're also three points away from being tenth in the league. Yeah, it could go one of two ways, and I don't see us really climbing the league right now with the way our form is. And it seems like Ross County, Livingston, and Mirren are all to varying degrees getting their act together. It could, you know, we could
0: find ourselves tumbling down this league very, very quickly the way we're playing. Yeah, Samaritan have had a great return back since the, the winter break. Um, I think they're four wins, out of, uh, sorry, three wins and a draw out of the four games since we came back. They're they're hitting some good form. So absolutely, but Stephen Glass touched on it as well in his post-matcher yesterday. We are fortunate at this moment in time that everybody else around us or that we are probably expecting to compete with are going through exactly the same problems we are, which is they can't win games of football. And so bizarrely, we're still now sitting just four points off of fourth spot with a game in hand which would secure European football potential again and, and above us you've got a Dungeon United side who are not scoring many goals not winning many games, I know you can apply this to us as well, don't get me wrong you've got a Hibbs side who look utterly lost under um, Sean Maloney and you've got a Motherwell side whose top goal has departed and they they look like they're struggling as well, we'll, we'll talk about Motherwell shortly um, when we come at the preview for next week so fourth place is still very much up for grabs. And in a really weird way, that almost makes the last three games even more galling because that's one point from nine we've taken out of a run of fixtures of St. Mirren, Ross County, and Livingston. Now that is for me, and this is not me, you know, being um, you know disrespectful to those clubs. We've we've not earned anything out of those games. We probably got fortunate to even end up with one point out of those three fixtures. But one point out of nine against those teams is, for me, frankly unacceptable, would be almost, would would, would be a justification to sack a manager in any other season, that type of run. You even take six or seven points out of that run there, and you'd be probably sitting comfortably now in fourth spot with a game in hand, looking upwards towards Hearts, to be honest. It's so galling that we've ended up in this run of form. To be honest, when I heard him say that in the
3: post-match, I was kind of thinking to myself that like, well, to say that it's not so bad because everyone else's garbage is not quite the uh, it's not the flex, is it? It's not quite the flex maybe Stephen Glass thinks it is um, no. 29 points from a potential 782 11 defeats from 24, I would like to know how far back we need to go to have that many losses at this point in a campaign I would imagine it
0: might be under a certain dingus. If I was a betting man, it's McGee or Miller Maybe Scovedale, probably Scovedal, maybe Scovedale's first season because we lost like the first eight games of the season or whatever it was then. So, on the Livingston stream, which by the way cost 20 (laughs) pounds, 20 pounds, they saw you two coming.
3: You could hear the murmurings from the Aberdeen support of just this discontent growing in the same way you could feel it building up to Dens Park. Where I mean, at that point, I thought it was no way back, and I think we're two games. Two results away from being back in that, back in that environment, and I don't see. Maybe not. Maybe he won't lose faith with the chairman, but I think he's going to lose the faith of the support very quickly. The manager you're talking about here, the manager that is, yes, the manager, the management team. I think people will vent at all aspects of the, the structure, but as Graham says, the one who's, in a way, most expendable is the manager.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely, he he is. There's no question about that. Um, at this moment in time What I thought was interesting was We changed shape towards the. I think when Matty Kennedy came on We changed shape a little bit and We pushed Bajau and you want to say something, Gav? I was just going to say I didn't expect to be sitting here in February 2022 And saying that actually one positive Was Matty Kennedy's performance I was actually just about to talk about Matty Kennedy I actually thought Matty Kennedy did pretty well when he came on I, I Now I don't know if that's a A barometer of how horrific we were in the preceding minutes before he came on, or if he actually came on, and and I thought he came on and affected the game in a pretty positive manner. Um, I think part of that was also due to the fact we changed shape a little bit. We pushed Bajouin much closer towards Ramirez. Ramirez was having one of his like one of those games where just it's not happening for him. Then suddenly Bajouin gets pushed a bit further up, closer to him, and suddenly he started finding pockets of space. It's a very very good goal. It's a really really tidy finish from from Ramirez. For a player who's not scored a lot of goals in recent weeks, you would think he's, you know, we, we've said it before that those are the type of chances you can imagine you would snatch at when you've not been scoring a lot of goals. It's a really good finish with his weaker foot. Um, I think one of us tweeted at the time who would have thought that allowing Ramirez to do his work in the 18-yard box and pushing players a bit closer to, towards him, you know, might end up with the results that um, that, that we saw. And Ramirez, you know, we, we, we were maybe, were we overly critical of him after the Ross County game, I, I I don't think so. I saw some people suggest we were. I think it's fair to say he very much blows hot and cold. He's a penalty box striker, but I think we should all remember that's him man to, I think, 13 goals for the campaign now. In a side that, as we all know, doesn't create a lot of chances, he's not on penalties, it's not a bad return from, from the American, all things considered. He still has a lot to do in terms of his overall game, but we need to start playing towards his strengths rather than accentuating his weaknesses.
2: I absolutely agree. There are not, there's not a great deal to be particularly excited about currently in terms of the the season. But I think the signing of Ramirez is, is proving to be quite a good signing. Like you know, no penalties in a team that's not exactly creating chances for left, right, and centre. It's a decent return at this stage in the season, but it is quite frustrating. And I think sometimes, like, I can see why he's doing it. You know, he's obviously maybe thinking, I'm not getting much service, I need to get into the game. But this sort of running around, dropping back deeper, almost into the midfield at times to get the ball, yeah, that's that's all right to a point. But then if, you know, the other time we do actually break with any sort of pace, he's not in the box. And I think even yesterday's another example of the guy is capable of scoring goals. So we we need to find a way that he doesn't get frustrated and feel like he's got to drop deep to get involved in the game. We need to find a way of getting him decent, regular service, and I'm absolutely certain he'll continue to score the goals. But when it's not working for him, it absolutely doesn't work for him. You know, it's like the old... um It always sounds dumb. People talk like Adam Rooney, if he's not scoring goals, what does he offer? And there's a little bit of that with Ramirez, because it's not like he's particularly quick and you can shell it into the channels or he's roughing people up or whatever it may be, linking up if he's not putting the ball in the back of the net, sometimes he can be a bit of a passenger. But I feel like we're we're setting up to fail.
1: Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. The way
2: we're playing him. And I think he's proven that he's more than capable of scoring goals at this level. But but we need to give him the tools to do his job.
3: I think um when we go back to Matty Kennedy, the thing that he brought, which we didn't have for the 75, 80 minutes that preceded his arrival he ran at defenders yeah and he looked to get the ball in the box and and it was and it was just incredible that we we create that chance we get that goal for ramirez i think lewis ferguson has a header quickly after that that's a good save by Strychek. yeah and then um, listen i walked out of the room at this point nothing to do with the game um so i didn't really see what happened with the red card and the replay didn't seem to make it clear what had happened either I don't know if anyone
0: can shed any light on exactly what happened there It seemed like a really soft booking for the boy Montano Or a second booking for him Because he got a bit embroiled with uh, and I think Bajau had probably made the most of a bit of a, a foul And I think the Levy players were kind of getting a bit enraged by it And Montano I think tried to pick him up But it didn't look to me like it was a booking I can only assume he said something to the referee And it's a, a, a dissent situation
3: and then how, so we create some chances getting some crosses into the box and then how wonderfully predictable it is that we then spend the next 10 minutes just aimlessly passing the ball side to side, slow as can be. And then it's, yeah, it's, it's, I sort pointed out, it's that final few minutes where they're suddenly, realized, oh shit, we're running out of time. Let's get the ball in the box and we create right. chances. And you're just like, why the hell did we, were we not doing this for the duration of that time? It's really put them under pressure. And that's,
0: that's systematic of the season, not just that, that time. Absolutely. But it even happened first half and second half. You were talking about what Kennedy did when he came on was he got the ball in the feet and took on a defender and tried to get crosses into the box. But Jean was doing that first half as well whenever he got on the ball. And then we just stopped passing the ball to him. And it was like, we're, it was the same at Ross County on, on, on Tuesday night where he was getting some success against the fullback. And you're like, just keep giving him the ball because he's got the beating of the fullback, he's getting to the byline, he's swinging crosses in, or he's winning fouls, one of the two.
3: And then we stopped doing it. Well, not only did we stop doing it, we moved him over to the other flank. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. After he'd beaten his fullback a number of times, and then we thought, well, let's put him to the left wing, This just not give him the ball.
0: Yeah, I I know, very, very frustrating. I mean, I I kind of don't want to go through the the the, the entire team I would like to understand why, and I haven't read I haven't read it anywhere, so there, there's maybe very good reasons as to why the two of them are missing. I'd like to understand why Scott Brown and Dylan McGee weren't playing. To start with, I thought Dylan McGee did very well. Well, very well is maybe pushing it. I thought Dylan McGee did well in Well, We were surprised about the fact he was the one that was hooked for Teddy Jenks, I think it was. If Brown's not playing, I don't understand why McGee isn't in that starting 11 on Saturday, now unless it's something to do with the pitch and they've got a concern about McGee and his ability to stay fit and they don't want to play him on the Astro, maybe I don't know why Brown wasn't playing who knows on that one, Joe Lewis was out ill, I think we could probably guess what that might be anyone who now wants to suggest that Gary Woods is in any way, shape or form ready to be our number one needs to look at that game and I saw a few people, there there was people talking about it during the game, you know that Remember all those people who were clamouring earlier in the season trying to pretend that Gary Woods was like the second incarnation of Eker Casillas and all this kind of stuff. Like That was a prime example on Saturday for me, what we were saying all along, that A, his his distribution with the ball at his feet is not actually as good as some people thought it was. And on everything else, he's a much, much worse option than Joe Lewis. And we really suffered a thought from Lewis not being in the sticks at the weekend. There were so many times where cross balls were put in the box and Woods was rooted to his line didn't even think of it coming out for them. And more often than not, I would imagine Lewis would come out and claim those. And it just put us under a lot of pressure we didn't need to be under. I think to be fair and balanced, well, I will say that there's a moment at 2-0 that he
3: makes a pretty good save from, I believe, Graham's favourite player, Jason Holt. He does. It's a good save on the post. Had it been 3-0, you know, we'd be... I mean, the support would have been even more furious than it already was, um, if you imagine that. It's a fair point. But, but yeah, I mean... Overall, it's just... we Listen, every, I think everyone can see it now. He's just a significantly worse option than Joe Lewis. The second goal, I think he just doesn't even make it remotely hard for... It's a Forrest that scores the second.
0: It was Forrest, yeah. Yeah,
3: I mean, it just tells almost tells Forrest what to do by going down so easily. Yeah. Um, yeah,
2: yeah. Just not, not even close to being of the required quality. I think all I will say, and to be honest, it's not so much him... I think we have to be mindful that, as Aberdeen were talking about, we don't have unlimited resources. Your backup goalie, yeah, you'd like him to be better, but you're just not going to have the money to have another Joe Lewis on the bench. I just think it's something we're going to have to live with. I don't disagree that you would want someone better. And I'm not saying, you know, I'm delighted with it and you're happy to have him for, a, you know, covering for Joe for a few weeks. But I think we just have to accept that um, we don't have a bottomless pit of cash. And I'll be honest, if they signed, I don't know, an obvious goalkeeper that was just as good as Joe Lewis, I'd probably be saying, well, should we not be using that budget elsewhere in the squad? Or do we really need to have a good and I assume expensive backup goalkeeper who's hardly ever going to play? So I feel like it's just a risky run with and you know, if Lewis is out, longer term, then that that would be alarming.
0: It's all very fair points. That's far too balanced for a a fan-based podcast. Um, Do we even insult people's intelligence here by looking for a top dog? I'm not going to. (laughs) Um, What did you think about Montgomery, actually? I don't think he... I didn't even notice him. There we go. That's... um... I don't think we really
3: even got the ball. I didn't suss out anything to tell me what kind of player he is.
0: Doesn't appear to be particularly quick I thought he looked relatively tidy on the ball I don't think he gave the ball away But I was the same I was like, if you're a winger, I didn't really see him taking on a man Yeah, it's just kind of a very Ineffective performance And I mean,
3: listen, I mean Didn't get any support from the people around him So probably just a, a victim of circumstance As much as anything Or whatever you want to call it Um, You know what? Fuck it, Matty Kennedy
0: Matty Kennedy Fair play, fair play. I'm going to give it to uh, Vicente Pajawan on two counts. One, I'm pretty certain he was the first Aberdeen player to be sporting cornrows. Um, I don't have AFC Heritage have that statistic on the website, and if they don't, Big they Calvin, ah, oh, Big Calvin Zola might have had cornrows. You might be right on that. Okay, number two, the pure shithousery of throwing the ball at Nicky Devlin, who was already in a booking with an outstretched hand and throwing it at his hand from a throw-in to try and get a second book in and get a sending off. For me, that was about the only thing that made me laugh all afternoon. So Vicente Bischewin gets my top done. One of the things that came out after the game yesterday, and, and Gav, we touched on it um, a little bit last week after the transfer window. And I kind of feel this is maybe an appropriate place to to do this. And Lord knows we might end up doing a deeper dive on this. In the next few weeks, but Gav, you ran a you 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 put out a, a poll to the ABZFP universe earlier on this evening. Um, obviously, yesterday's result has just riled everybody once again, and, and I think Gav, you were trying to see you know where are people directing their their anger at, and 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 you made it a a four way Cormac gun or glass or a mixture of all, and probably the mixture of all option has somewhat clouded the the responses here well i mean that was based around
3: the three names that have been popping up the most in the previous 48 hours and yeah i wanted to see just exactly where i think what we've learned from that poll is that yeah 61 percent of people have said um combination of all three yeah but cormac's the leader of the single options and even the people that are voting combination of all three i think are mainly directing their ire towards our uh, our esteemed leader. I think uh, people are very much of the view
0: that the buck stops at the very top when it comes to this one. Ultimately, the buck does stop at the top, doesn't it? Let's all be honest. But at the same time, the chairman puts in place a structure for the football side of the business, I guess in a way to try and provide a bit of a buffer between him and the footballing operation per se. Because at the end of the day, now, whether this is what's happening or not, the chairman with a limited footballing knowledge, other than being a beach-end boy, really probably shouldn't be too close to too many of the footballing decisions it is how this should work. And that's why you put a director of football in place to head up the whole football operation. And then obviously you've got Rob Wicks heading up the commercial side of the business and somebody else looking at something else. There's three names in that box. and I can't remember who it is. It also reports to him. Never mind, it doesn't really matter right now. And I kind of wanted to take a bit of to look at Stephen Gunn a little bit. Gav, you and I, we talked about last week about, you know, did we feel that Stephen Glass had been let down in the transfer window, especially the January transfer window? Graham, I don't know what your view, your view on this is. We didn't really speak to you last week about it.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think he absolutely has. All I will say, you know, I'm not too sure how the structure works or should work. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think it absolutely has been. It's, it's, it's impossible that Stephen Glass woke up on the 1st of January and was like, right, we're in a bit of a hole here, things aren't going great, but you know what? I just don't touch my squad boys, it's fine. So I think he... Oh, well, the January transfer window to a degree this season was always going to be season-defining, and by that I mean it could have been where we just got the boys we needed and we pushed on, or it just sort of kept us in this malaise. So I feel like it's the second option, and by that I mean... If things stay the same or get worse and he doesn't see out the season, it's not the January transfer window that's done it for him because we were pretty gross up to the 31st of December.
0: Pretty gross is not is an amazing...
2: Yes, that's really good, really good language. So we were garbage up to the end of the year. The January transfer window hasn't killed any chances of the season, but I'm really surprised and disappointed that they've actually allowed it to get to this stage and absolutely cannot make his job easier and it's absolutely fair to say he's got a difficult job to do so it's it's just pretty it's pretty woeful all around and I think like I know I know nothing about the mechanics of signing a player so I obviously I'm just looking from the outside in here but I think what really bugs me is there's nothing from the people in the club even like even if you can't please everyone if they come out and said, look, we're working with a, in a market with a budget and everyone wants 10 grand a week. We just don't have it and it can't be done. So we're really working hard for the summer. But okay, fine, maybe. But, but there's just nothing. Well,
0: on that point, because this, when we recorded last week's episode, when we were talking about this, I hadn't heard Stephen Glass's post-match interview at Ross County yet by that point. But the reason I want to turn this discussion to talk about Stephen Gunn tonight is because it's twofold. So one, when Adam Montgomery signed on deadline day, Scott Burns, who is a man I think we would all view as being definitely in the know when it comes to transfers for Aberdeen Football Club. someone had asked him directly, are there still more deals to be done at Aberdeen? And he said specifically, yes, they're still working on other transfers. So clearly we were still in the market at that point for other people. And we were clearly talking to people and clearly trying to get deals done. After the Ross County game, Rob McLean asked Stephen Glass very specifically about, oh, you must be quite frustrated about the fact we didn't bring anyone in. And Glass said something along the lines of basically we were working on a few deals, but then it got to about 11 o'clock at night and it became very clear at that point we couldn't get them done. And then we weren't going to sign players just for the sake of signing them which I'm okay with that second part of that sentence that don't just bring guys in just for the sake of bringing them in. If they're not actually going to add anything. And if they're like, if they're like number 20 on your list and they're absolute horse shit, then don't bring them in just for the sake of bringing them in or if they're Flo can Right. I get that part, but what really grates me is the fact that then there's a clear point there where you've gone, we have got people on our list. We were still working on who presumably were, to graham's point about they want 10 grand a week and blah 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 presumably part of the role of the head of recruitment and these guys is to analyze people who we can afford and who are achievable signings for us to get them in the door so giving everybody the benefit of the doubt here manager identifies i need x y and z head of recruitment goes off and finds these players comes back to glass and says here's your options which ones do you want to go and do it glass then says i want player a b and c it's up to gun as far as we're aware and in a normal footballing structure like this, it's up to Gunn to go and get that deal done. And it's clear we didn't get any of the deals over the line for the guys we really, really wanted. And we were then left with the guys on our list that we went, we'd be better off not taking any of them in. Which is why you get to the point with me where I think a lot more focus needs to go in on Stephen Gunn over the last few weeks, not just Dave Cormack. I
2: think, well, it's everyone. It is everyone. But I think the reason maybe people are... Um more vocal around the chairman is he was or he he created certainly for me I might misunderstood the impression that it was going to be different and we would have a handle on what's going on in the club and everything and when things have been going well um you know he's, he's out there and you know what he's thinking when things are not going well there's nothing and I think that's personally I think that's why people are maybe focusing in on him I don't I think most people realise it's a combination of everyone to get something over the line, but there's not everyone associated with the club who's vocal and jumping up and down and telling p- fans to calm down as the window opens. Hashtag breathe. Do you know, it's not... It's, the other guys, like Stephen Gunn, for example, you know, I, I don't see him... You know, I don't really know who he is, but he's not out there when it suits him and then not out there when it's, uh, right I uh, right... Things aren't going well, I'll just sit tight. I think that's why people pick on the the chairman personally, because he's with good intentions, I believe, at the start. He's kind of made a bit of a, a rod for his own back. Because I think we said way back in the day, you didn't know you're out for this. Like the Stuart yeah. Millen approach was fine with me, because you knew you're never going to hear from him. But you, that's just the way he operated, and, that, and that's okay. Yeah, it's sometimes annoying because you want maybe to come out and address a rumor or put out a statement to just clarify a couple of things, but he didn't do it but he was consistent. It's this sort of halfway house of the season starts off and it looks like, oh, this is quite good. You know, he's, it feels like there's a guy that's maybe a bit more accessible. And as fans, we might have a clearer insight into the, the inner workings of the football club. Um, and then it just all it all dies, dies a death. And it's, I think that's why people are pretty irate um, with him in particular my perspective as you've said the the recruitment side of things
3: would work within that framework of yes manager identifies this is something I need head of recruitment then goes and analyzes the market and says okay here are the options and then director football is in charge of getting the deals over the line as you say I think the reason that people are directing their anger more at Cormac instead of Steve Gunn in this case is that To the best of my knowledge, anyway, Steve Gunn has never worked in the footballing side of Aberdeen until this previous summer.
0: Uh, I don't think that's... I don't know if that's necessarily fair, because his... So so Steve Gunn started at the club in 2000 as part of a placement from university. Then he eventually joined the club on a full-time basis after he finished his degree. He was in a football coordinator role for years. He was then promoted to football operations manager. And then director of football operations. I don't really know what the fucking difference between those two things are. And then last summer he was promoted to director of football. Now, when you say he's not on the football side, are you referring to like, the actual hands-on... The actual
3: handling of the football side of the, of the club?
2: Yes. I think you mean more of the business side rather than the... Because obviously he has been with his day-to-day role as the sort of coordinator role, but he doesn't seem to have the business side of the, the football club.
3: Has he? Because... As best I can tell, he's been a, a logistics manager. Well, yeah.
0: I was gonna say now this is something that does get leveled at gun quite a lot, is that he was basically the travel agent and sorted out like the logistics side of things around, you know, us doing European trips and sorting out fucking planes and sorting out hotels and coaches and that for away games and all that type of shit. And that probably is part of what that role was, that football coordinator kind of role, probably. I imagine. But there's a huge, huge leap here between that. Type of stuff.
3: Yeah, I can just never think of hearing his name attached to anything when Derek McInnes was here for the eight, seven, eight years he was here in regards to his involvement directly in the footballing side of the club. And the point I'm making is that we've got, on the face of it, to me, a woefully underqualified director of football in place.
0: And the person that put him there is the chairman. And and this is where I was going to come to with it, is that we've ended up in a scenario or a situation now for Aberdeen Football Club where we've decided to put the structure in place. And people can have their views, positive or negative, about the structure and whether that makes sense. For me, I'm okay with it as a structure. It makes sense to me as a structure. It's what the vast majority of top clubs in Europe operate with. If it's done properly, it should provide your club with a lot of with a platform for long-term sustainable success and development and you end up and it should actually benefit like your youth setup for example teal 10 cat when we spoke with teal back on episode four i'm throwing that out there as a number i think it was four spoke to great lengths about this that what you don't want to do as a youth coach or as part of the youth development side of your football club is to have continually different managers coming through the door with different philosophies about how the team should operate playing different systems, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What you want to have is a very consistent approach right the way through from youth level up to the first team. That means that we always play four-three-three 3 our prime formation. And so you're developing players to play in that formation. The worst thing can happen then is then someone comes in and they now want to play 4-5-1 and it's all about lumping the ball to a big man and you've just spent 10 years developing wingers and inverted wingers to play in your system and now they're completely redundant because you're just going to lob the ball to a big man. Like, so... The whole idea of this sale works from that perspective. It just screams to me that we've ended up putting a rookie manager in charge in Stephen Glass, and we've compounded the issue then by putting a rookie director of football above him. And it's just like this is not for me. Aberdeen Football Club, I spoke about last week. It's not a training ground. We shouldn't be here. We're we're too big a football club. We're we're too historic a football club to be being used as a training facility for. People in these roles. I'm sorry, Stephen Gunn's probably a lovely guy. He's probably got the very best interest of the club at heart. But if you're going to do the setup, you need to have experienced guys in that director of football role who understand what that's all about. And when I say experienced, I don't mean going back to like Willie Miller when he did it, because Willie, okay, was experienced in the football side of things. But was he a director of football really? Probably not, if we're re- realistic about it. There's a whole suite of these guys who are out there now, very specialized in what they do. Why were we not going to try and attract a, one of these guys from a club down south, or even even fucking better, somebody from abroad who's got no preconceived notions about what Scottish football looks like? Yeah, all perfectly fair. I even
3: someone even mentioned to me that if the vision was to create the an environment of developing players, you know what, <laughs> Stephen, Stephen Glass, Glass would have been the good director the, of football. Yeah, and it's something that could even maybe still have that, but at this point, I think the stench of his. Rain as manager means that's that's too far gone now just yeah people that have the relevant experience to be able to do their roles that's it sounds very simple when you put it that but we've
2: contrived to find a way to just completely fuck it up. You're never going to get what you want as a fan as in what you really want is the relevant people to come out and just lay yeah. it all out. Now you might not like it and you know you might be like ah, don't agree with that whatever but you you know the truth whereas all you can do is speculate and speculate who's actually based on a job title, who you think is accountable for such and such a part of the football sort of club but I think what it boils down to whether you single out an individual or not collectively it's not working and the January transfer window was really really poor and what like, normally, I guess what would happen is if you don't trust the manager, you are maybe, well, you get rid of him before or you're reluctant to give him cash. Fine, understand that. But as you've described in the sort of model we've got, it's kind of irrelevant who the manager is because you're requiring players that fit with what you're trying to achieve as a football club. And if the guy that's currently basically coaching them he's not really the manager in the sort of traditional old school sense of the word moves on that's all right because the new guy you get in his his remit's obviously going to be the yeah. same as the guys before you just hope he's maybe more suited to the the players or you know he's got different experience wherever it may be so it's less of a risk to actually entrust the current manager to be part of the recruitment process so I can't quite figure out if we're just inept or if they really don't trust him, then they don't trust the system either. So, because they should have, if they don't trust Stephen Glass, then it shouldn't have impeded recruitment.
0: What's Dave's line? We might be wrong, but we won't be confused. I'm pretty confused. Feels very confused. Absolutely.
2: Yeah, it just feels like on and off the pitch. Where <laughs> not really going anywhere. Well, yeah, there's not really... Yeah, I feel like if you asked anyone what is the objective this season, what would we try to get out of it? Oh, well, I don't know. you know, And I don't know how we're going to do it. So it's, yeah, it's really frustrating. I'm uh, I'm pretty sure I've
3: found the answer to the previous question about which manager was in charge last time we'd lost this many games at this point in the season. Who was it? We lost 14 games by this point in 2010, 2011. Mark McGee. Dingus. Who would have thunk
0: it? Dingus rides to the rescue again. Uh, I guess I'll finish off the section by just saying, Dave, the door's still open, mate. That Q&A, you've been promising it for a while. We can sort it out. Just something. <laughs> well, maybe not just something. Let's not do the whole sports sound thing all over again.
3: Well, I mean, like, I mean, I was going to say, like, you know, I think the uh, atmosphere is going to turn against everyone involved. Uh, it's going to take a lot more than playing at the crowd, given it the Whoa, Aberdeen patter he was giving. Back in uh, October, or whenever it was, uh, yeah, people are not going to be buying what he's selling that time, which was a load of shite as well. If I
2: might add, (laughs) (laughs) I think with everything going on at the moment, it's going to be difficult to address the issues on the pitch. But I think two big concerns for me is the the people that run our club on our behalf, we are presumably stuck with, so it's be difficult to rebuild that relationship. I've seen a lot of chat um online amongst fans and the the biggest danger that i think any football club can face is apathy from the fan base and there's a lot of people thoroughly fed up and bored and i think what people maybe don't appreciate is for for a lot of people it's not so much that you you know football the, the club is what people live and breathe for some people but it takes a—it's a lot of time and there's a lot of money to follow any football club, and some people have more of that than others, and others will be cutting out stuff to prioritise going to the football, and that's commendable. But I think when when apathy sets in, I've seen a lot of people um, saying, you know, fuck it, I'm out on the DNA, for example. Yeah. What's the point? I'm not gonna—I'm not gonna renew that again. It's a really difficult cycle, and it's really difficult to sort of arrest that decline. Once it sets in and that's actually my biggest fear is that it's not that people don't care because you never really switch off from your club, that people don't get as yeah. invested in it and they don't go to games and they don't have the DNA. And then you're in this cycle of the clubs then greeting about, oh, well we don't have the transfer funds and people are, well, that's fine, but maybe you need to do something on your end first and then I'll come back and I'll do my bit. It just feels, this is not an Aberdeen specific issue. It just always feels a little one way. The fans always have to be patient. They always have to do this and they always have to do that. But you never get anything back from the other side. And that's kind of how I, that's how, where I feel personally. It's all getting a bit frustrating. Um, And it's just not a good place. We've been here before, you know, sort of pre-McInnes, where people were sort of, Tapping out, not asked about the club, and it took quite a long time to to get things going again. I just think we're we're really close to losing what had been some sort of goodwill and um, you know some some good work that had been done and by previous people. I don't disagree with you about
0: that, Graham, at all. And I actually suspect that if we are out the cup next Saturday, that will likely start the phone calls. I reckon from the club. In the same way that we all got phone calls last season around this sort of time, where they were fishing to find out if you were gonna renew your season ticket or your DNA or whatever, on the basis that they were clearly making a judgment call about what the financials look like and whether it was worth more to Sack McInnes or let him say. And I suspect that'll be what drives a decision about Stephen Glass is probably what the what the what the figures, what the, ironically, what the data says.
2: Well, you know, jokes aside you might be absolutely right there because people people aren't going to tolerate it forever and even just currently not to get too boring but you've got inflation going up stuff's getting more expensive everyone's gas and electricity bills are going to be absolutely crippling you know, people that are prioritizing the football over other bits and pieces and don't have the luxury of a bottomless pit when it comes to the the cash are, are going to have to have tougher decisions to make and it becomes harder to justify why would you spend your hard-earned on watching Aberdeen when it's just all a bit of a nonsense at the moment. I think we can go back to the very
3: first episode, I believe. Gary gave a a speech about what a pivotal time this was in our club's history as far as uh, galvanising a disillusioned support and uh, it feels, listen, like The people we interact with on Twitter, it's a fraction of the sport, but it feels very much that we're, yeah, we're losing them. And it's not a good time. Not a good time, not a good place to be.
0: Exactly. Dave, the door's open. Come join us. Let's have a chat. Let's do that Q&A that keeps on being promised, never delivered. We can accommodate you on a time basis. We've done it before with guys in the States. Or let's do it when you're over, presumably for the uh, Fergie homecoming. I imagine you'll be back for that one. Let's move on. Other news from Project this week. Dean Campbell departs on loan to Kilmarnock until the end of the season. Made his debut for Killy in their 1-0 defeat at Arbroath on Friday night. Gents, your thoughts on coincidence or something far more sinister? <laughs> Gents, your thoughts on that loan move for Dean Campbell?
2: I think a loan move is good for him. I'm not sure he's going to cut it at Aberdeen. Um but I think the loan move is good for him. But the only thing I'm slightly confused about is, obviously, Derek McKinnis had him for years, didn't play him that often. And then he's like, all right, I'll just take you in on loan. So the loan, I'm absolutely 100% on board with. It's a decent level um, that he can hopefully get a bit of confidence because he should be better than that, in my opinion. It's just a little bit strange that the guy who had him for years and didn't really play him much then decides to take him on loan. But I hope it works out for him for for what it's worth. Gav's going to
0: maintain a dignified silence here, I think. Um,
3: To be honest, it's um, a team challenging for the championship. I thought it was actually a level higher than what I'd get if he was going to go on loan. Um, Big big six months for him. He's got to go there and basically show he's one of the best players in the Kilmarnock team in that league. And if not, then comes back here and Neil, I don't know how long he's got left on his deal, Um, Dean Campbell. But um, yeah kind of just sleepwalking his way into being one of
0: those players where you keep thinking to yourself, there's a player in there one day and then he'll be 24. Yeah. I, I think it's a big six months for him. Hopefully he goes and does a good job at Kilmarnock. Um, see how he goes. Graham, I completely agree. There is something there is a bit of an irony there about the fact that um, I think a lot of us were clamouring probably for Campbell to be loaned out from Aberdeen during the previous regime to go and get some game time and fixtures, et cetera. And then, um, Here he is, away to death, McInnes's Komarnik. Fair play, let's see what happens. Let's move on. I think we need to address something. Oh, go on then. Uh, So I'm going to quote
3: one Matthew Longstaff. Oh, yes, I saw this. Uh, So, full quote here. In Scotland, everything was more of a fight. There is probably not as much quality there as there is in the Premier League. Matty Longstaff,
0: long ball football of Aberdeen did not suit me. I'd love this because if there's one thing you could probably <laughs> leverage it as this season, is we've not been fucking direct enough. We've spent too much of our time pissing about with the ball.
2: Of all the seasons to put out the long ball <laughs> accusation, this is 100% <laughs> not the season. Now, if the title was Endless Sideways Passing Wasn't Really For Me, i like, yeah, join a club. You're 100% correct. But yeah, we're a- what a deck. Yeah, what, yeah. No, I'll just... Well, you know, it's just your classic snidey shite. I came up, I couldn't cut it, but, you know, it's not my fault. It's because they're, you know, they're cloggers up there. Now where Too did Too much get, of a farmer's league for him. Where did he end up? Was it Mansfield or something like that? Mansfield time. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> okay. There's a guy I have zero time for, zero time. And just be be, be professional, be dignified, accept you couldn't cut it and move on. Don't come out with your, your nonsense comments. Um, I look forward to why Mansfield style doesn't suit me. Matty Longstaff, contact sport did not suit me.
0: Fucking idiot. <laughs> Let's move on. Um, to the women's side, Emma Hunter, Gavin B's side returned to SWPL1 with a visit of Hibbs To the Balmoral, one change to the side that played against Glasgow women almost a fortnight ago, Captain Kelly Forrest returning in place of Carrie Doig and former Don's defender Jenna Penman was on the bench for the visitors following her transfer last week and the dons got off to a perfect start a goal after just eight minutes bailey collins robbing leishman on the right and forcing the dons first corner of the match patterson getting her head on the resulting corner only to see her effort blocked and as the visitors defense tried to get the ball clear it fell to ava thompson on the edge of the box and she sent a powerful shot beyond gabby english for her sixth goal of this season Side from the capital nearly equalised on about the 25th minute mark. A great run by Amy Gallagher down the right, carrying her all the way into the penalty area, but her low shot squeezing wide off the far post. Thompson nearly doubling the host lead with a 20-yard effort, and her spectacular dipping effort smashed off the bar and bounced back. But the Dons sought the first half to lead 1-0. And in the second half, the Dons were the first attempt of the second half. Collins sending a fizzing 25-yard drive just over the crossbar. Hosts forced into a change just before the hour when Kelly Forrest was forced off with injury, replaced by Hannah Innes. Aberdeen continued to look lively on the break. Despite Hibbs's dominance of possession, Ogilvy and Hutchison up front, backed up by the willing running of Thompson, Collins, Shore and Chloe Gover, always looking to threaten on the counter. Ogilvy forced off after falling victim to a heavy challenge in the closing stages, but the Dons managed to see it out. A 1-0 win against one of the stronger sides in the SWP. at 1, a fantastic result for Emma Hunter and Gavin Beath's ladies. Next up, it's Spartans at home next week. And on to Lone Watch. Luke Turner started on the benchmark. Gallagher failing to make the matchday squad as Cliftonville beat Carrick by one goal to nil in the, Norwich Irish, in the Northern Irish Cup. <laughs> Not <Norwich> a Irish Cup. <laughs> Fuck me. Tom Ritchie recalled to the Dons' first-team squad due to the absence of Joel Lewis and the young man sat on the bench at the Tony Mac during the 2-1 defeat. To Livingston, elsewhere, Kieran Nguyenia lasted the full 90 minutes for Kelty Hearts as they smashed Elgin City by four goals. And nil. fellow Dons' low Evan Taylor with the full 90 for Elgin with Kevin Henrati, an unused substitute. And Sterling Albion's match with Cowdy Beach postponed, so no action for Mason Hancock. And finally, Ryan Duncan with another 90 minutes under his belt as Peterhead lost by one goal to nil at home to Alloa in League One. Fantasy football this week. Gents, how did you get on?
2: 72 points.
0: Oh, oh, Somebody's been fucking working on it. I like it.
2: Well, it's pretty good, I would say. And considering, I don't know how Craig Gordon got four points because he shipped five.
3: Must have made a whole lot of saves. I did captain him. The so, other side of
2: that. Yeah. So, yeah, 72 points. Uh, I'm absolutely fly. buzzing, I think, is the word I'm supposed to use in a football podcast.
3: <laughs> I mean, the choice to captain Craig Gordon ahead of a visit to Ibrox was
2: interesting. I'll concede I didn't check the fixtures. So that might have been an, an error on my, ha- uh, on my part, but... Um, how um how gutted
3: do you guys think John Souter was when that fifth goal went in? Hmm. Very upset. Uh forty-two points for myself this week, and that's purely because I placed a lot of well misplaced optimism in the attacking threat of Aberdeen. And uh Christian Ramirez was my captain. So that's where the
2: bulk of those points come from. Have you not been watching this season? <laughs> You'd think I would learn, wouldn't you? Yep. Twenty-seven points just that's embarrassing
0: you can tell i've just given up now my my team has got to the point i said this to you guys during the week my team has now got to the point it would cost me probably all the points i have accumulated to try and sort it out that i just can't be arsed
2: i don't so, think you have that many points
0: no probably not i haven't even cracked the thousand mark yet yeah that's terrible stuff that's tragic um into the actual ABZFP league. Jack Curran, his two turkeys, lead the way. 1-6-1-6 after 89 points this week. Not bad, Jack, not bad. Gold, Frankentons, Gurr, Stephen Brown. I think we all agree this is our favourite name that we've seen all season. I'm I'm willing it on. I'm, I'm willing that one to get to top. But he's got to close a gap of 101 points. It's looking like Jack Curran is marching on his way to the title or flapping, I guess, with his two turkeys. <laughs> And then Hafad Ziri with the Kingdom of Morocco. Third place, fifth, just over 1,500 points. Lovely stuff. Keep it going, guys. Keep on keeping on. Let's move on. So, big week ahead for the Dons as league leader Celtic travel to the northeast on Wednesday evening for the second time this season and we visit Fir Park next Saturday in the Scottish Cup. And guys, I don't think it's too dramatic to say that next Saturday is probably make or break for our season.
2: No, I think it's absolutely spot on. Like, you know, sort of jokes aside, if you go out there, what is there? The the league campaign. I know we were chatting earlier about well, oh, we're so close to this, that, and the next thing, but in all the games we've played so far, I, I, I just don't see where we're gonna get that run going to actually capitalise on the fact that on the you know, you look at the table, we're quite close to actually maybe recovering something from the season. So yeah, I think it's all about it's all about the cup on Saturday, and that could be a real a real turning point for the season, depending on how that plays out.
3: Um, off the back of the last three games, it's hard to go into this two fixtures with any any degree of optimism, if I'm being brutally honest. Um the cup game with Motherwell is the biggest game of the season, and we've been utterly, utterly shite on the road. So it's gonna take a lot of uh what's the term? fake it till you make it. That's uh, <laughs> that's what I'm going to have
0: to get going here to be able to, in about a few minutes, to say that we're going to win 3-0. To quote Vincent Kennedy McMahon, it's going to take a lot of testicular fortitude, I imagine. Um,
3: Yeah, I mean, I watched Celtic against Rangers last week, or the week before, whenever it was. Wednesday. I thought they were very impressive. Um, The signings they have made in January seem to have really stepped up a level.
0: I hate to break it to you, see their first 45 minutes today against Motherwell, they were even better than they were against Rangers in the middle of um, I think I was talking with one of my friends at work who's a Celtic
3: fan. I was mentioning to him, like, obviously, you know, there was chat at the weekend about, well, let's look what Celtic have done compared to what we've done in terms of changing things around. And let's be frank, money makes a big difference here. It does. Being able to bring in players that are more capable of adapting to what the manager wants or in the case of maybe celtic bringing in players that you know are just going to fit into the system but i think the idea at the beginning of the season was that we were meant to be like a pound shop <laughs> version of celtic but instead what we got is we ordered celtic from wish.com <laughs>
0: yeah it's 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 not far off the bat to be honest um let's look at celtic first on on wednesday night i'm not going to lie I, I have the fear a little bit um, the one thing that I have working in my favour
3: there is that I've had the fear a lot of times going into <laughs> games against Celtic and Rangers this season and we've actually
0: pulled a performance out of the bag. Yeah, that's true. That is true. I, like I said, it's somebody else today. I was like, knowing the way our season has gone, right? Would you be at all surprised if we actually somehow pulled a win out on Wednesday night and then beat Motherwell next week? And we just continue to kind of just keep on trucking in this really weird and season where we do pretty well against the big teams. Um get ourselves through, which means that there's, there can't be any real decision made about the management because we're still in the cup, blah, blah, blah. And then we'll probably go on to play what, Mother one league the, the following week. And then St Johnston at home, probably lose those two and just the cycle will just continue. We, would you be at all surprised if that was to happen?
2: I think back to how we were all feeling when we had that run of, was it Rangers, Hearts and hips, maybe? Exactly. So many parallels to me with that Dundee game. Yeah, because we were all like, you know what the hell are we going to get with that? And then what we came out with, seven out of nine. And it's absolutely fair to say it should have been nine out of nine. So there, there is that sort of element to it that, you know, I think, well, yeah, we've been here before and we didn't get uh, get scudded like with maybe we thought we would, but I don't know. They've been pretty handy the last few games and not really letting up on teams either. The things I'm hoping for is that,
0: Celtic do seem to gas out a little bit. So if you can kind of like see out the first 45, you've kind of got a bit of a chance against them because they're really intense and they're really like on you in that first 45 minutes. I mean, that's what they did to Motherwell today. They absolutely blew Motherwell in the first 45 minutes. And they did the same to Sevco on Wednesday night. There is a part of me is like, right, you need to try and like get through that. You saw what happened. They played really well against Hearts at Castle. And then they kind of just seemed to just completely gas out. And Hearts kind of really started to come back in the game. And Hearts probably should have taken a point off them, Liam Boyce with that horrendous penalty miss. United did. United went there and held Limit Park Head for what, 90, 91 minutes? I, you know, I think if you can, I'm, I'm clutching at straws a little bit here, I think. If you can try and keep it tight for 45, 50 minutes, then you've got a chance. But we, um, being tight is not necessarily the phrase you would use to talk about Aberdeen. No,
2: is- I was going to say which management team and First eleven are we substituting in in order to keep it tight for that 45-50 minutes? I can't see that. I can't see that. I mean, even if
3: you take the, uh, the Rangers game, which has been the highlight of our performances post-winter break by a distance, yeah. even then there's a goal there where our defending is somewhat laughable. <laughs> so, I mean... It's just it just seems a mammoth task to keep them out.
0: I've got the fear. I I, I don't like picking up other teams' players because why would that? And and specifically when it's either the players who play for uh, the, the two teams from Glasgow in our league. The boy Hitati though, um, at the centre midfield for Celtic, he's a he's a very 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 good footballer. When he signed, I was listening to another podcast. Um, And and they'd done a real big in-depth analysis on Hitati. And I ended up going looking at after them talking about it. They were talking about like one of his they were talking about his wife scout profile. I went and looked it myself and it was just like, oh man, this guy's an actual like he's an actual baller. Cause you can obviously filter out like your goals and stuff and it was just like it was like right foot, left foot header, right foot, left foot header, right foot, left foot header, and it's like fuck me. He scores like all sorts of different goals. And the second goal he scored for them, um, the midweek on Wednesday, but he just gets the ball and just curls it past McGregor. It was just like Jesus. This, that you can't give this boy any sort of space and time on the ball. He he does look a right player, and I've I've really got the fear about Wednesday night, especially if you can see the goal early doors. I just don't even want to think about what will happen.
3: Yeah, I mean, what Wednesday night. Tanked up crowd
0: could get nasty, could be interesting, could do. Um, let's let's hope he pulls a hammy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. D- do I even want to do predictions for Wednesday night? Sure, why not? Okay, let's go for that This is where you get to see the kind of deluded nature of a fan base podcast. <laughs> I'm just glad we don't have a Celtic fan right now. Yeah, yeah,
2: Graham. I don't know. The game will be played to conclusion over 90 minutes. <laughs> There if we, we if we don't tap out beforehand
3: yeah Gav. <laughs> um somehow a minor miracle <laughs> I, can't, I can't do it i can't say we're
0: gonna win i can't do it one, one. one, one. there we go uh two two i don't know how but we do Hitati scores all four, possibly, just to show how good a player he is. Fuck knows. I don't know. All jokes aside, the big game for us this week is is next Saturday. It's the the cup tie at, at, at Motherwell. Motherwell don't go into this game in particularly good form either, to be honest. Um, good. Obviously, got they got yeah exactly. They got a good scudon today by uh, by Celtic. Fuck knows what happens to us on Wednesday night. So let's not try and pretend that's a that's something to be proud of. But since the um, I think since the winter break. Since we came back from that, they are only one win in six. And that was in the Scottish Cup. That was against Morton. Uh, defeats to Ross County 3-1. A nil nil draw with Hebs. A 2-0 defeat by Hearts. A 1-1 draw at saint and then a 4-0 hammering today uh, by Celtic. Goals, a massive, massive issue from Motherwell all of a sudden since Tony Watt uh, headed to Dundee United. I, It's kind of hard to judge how Motherwell are. On, on today's performance against Celtic Because Celtic were ridiculous in that first half um, One thing I would say is that Liam Kelly Looked a bit ropey in the sticks today For Motherwell, not something you would usually level at him. He usually looks pretty assured in the goals Maybe, maybe Grasping at straws here again We might be hitting Motherwell at a, a Good time Well I was just going to say
3: when you started this Part that uh, being in bad Form has not stopped teams beating us before This season so uh, <laughs> usually a given Isn't it to get their first win on the run So, uh, um, uh, if anything, that's probably a precursor to a fucking hammering on our part. Uh, Motherwell, we've been dreadful against Motherwell. We have. They've totally done a number on us. Especially at Putaudry in that second half. Um, Liam and I were there. We were awful. Um, The boy, Van De has probably never scored two easier goals his entire career. Our
2: away form is dreadful.
3: Um, There's no getting away from that. And it's going to be a big ask. Yeah, Uh,
2: I don't really know. There's not really much that you can say that hasn't been said. It's, but but it's so it is so important. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I will be really annoyed if we get battered by Celtic. You know, just dropping points at home is just frustrating. Full stop. Kind of doesn't matter who you're playing against. But if we if we go out on Saturday, yeah, that's pretty much that. For the season, so I think it's absolutely critical. And and I'm not really in the you way know, we we're having a wee chat earlier. Oh, you know, if we go out, but we're played well, we're unlucky. Nah, if you go out, that's it. Um, that's probably me going to be tapping out for the rest of the season because there's not really anything to hold my interest. So Saturday is absolutely critical. Van Veen's really given us a right old
0: doing over this season so far. Um, he, he got hooked today at half time. So there is a little part of me hoping that maybe Alexander's decided he doesn't fancy him anymore and maybe doesn't bother with him. Um, yeah, it's just keeping him fresh for Saturday. <laughs> exactly. But it could also be that. It's just a case of, well, fuck it, we're getting nothing out of here. So so on we go. Um, Fir Park's always a difficult venue, it seems, for Aberdeen generally. We always, it's always a bit of a battle. Um, the home fans will be up for it. There should hopefully be a pretty decent away support uh, down there on Saturday as well. It's, it's got all the makings of actually a decent cup tie to be fair it's two teams that go into in, in bad form you know blah 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 it's, it's probably make or break is it make or break for Mobile? probably not to the same extent they're in fourth place at the moment they can still get into europe i would imagine given the, the run of form they're on just now as well they'll be looking for something to try and kick start their their season get them going again it it, it could actually be quite a good game of football in a really bizarre way because you're expecting cup tie has to be settled on the day etc cetera, etc cetera, et cetera. so it could be a late Return home for us, Graham. I don't know I am I honestly wouldn't be surprised if we got something against Celtic And went through in the cup And like I said earlier on We'll just keep this little cycle going at the moment um, Let's just move to predictions I, I, I don't feel like I really want to talk too much about this game any longer Yeah, I have a funny feeling We're going to be talking about it quite a lot afterwards Yeah, yeah One thing we do need to do, we need to step up We need to We need to battle what we didn't do at Livingston We spoke about earlier on Motherwell will make this a battle Let's not make any mistake about that. They've overrun us in the lot in the two league games this season, We've ran over the top of us. We need to be ready for a scrap. Alternatively, we just need to play the
3: exact same way we did it for a Park because, and I quote Alan Burrows, that was the best away performance he's seen all season. I think it was even longer than that. I don't think it was all season. It was like oh, maybe, maybe, maybe,
0: maybe like, in years actually might have been. Yeah, all yeah. time wasn't it? I think yeah, it could have been. Yeah. Who knows? It's what the data yeah. said anyway. Let's um, like come on, Japs. Predictions. I'm gonna say one one, and we're gonna go through on penalties.
2: I'm gonna say two one to Aberdeen, with like the Motherwell keeper chucking one in the last minute.
0: Three two Aberdeen after extra time. Jet wins it for us with two minutes to go. <laughs> that's a that's a firm shake of the head. There. <laughs> we move on. <laughs> And somehow, somehow the Dons end up with the Scottish Cup in the cabinet come May. That wraps up part one of this week's show. Join us after the break, where we bring you the latest in our in-depth conversations with ex-Dons personalities. This time, it's goal-scoring machine and all-round top bloke, Adam Rooney. And to place out this half, here's Cold Years with their new single, Kicking and Screaming, which was released last Friday. You can follow the guys over at Cold Years Band. It's Cold Years and kicking and screaming. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is sponsored by Maritime Developments Limited, project engineering specialists for the global energy sectors. MDL is globally renowned for finding clear answers to the challenges around equipment life extension. They have a thorough understanding of the key requirements in every scope, delivering on schedule and to budget. MDL's expert team is here to support you with professional advice and creative ideas to help you maximise your project success. Find out more at MaritimeDevelopments.com Welcome back to the ABZ Football Podcast and we're delighted to bring you the latest in our line of interviews with Don's personalities of past and present. This week it's a man who joined Aberdeen in January 2014 going on to make 197 appearances scoring 88 goals in the process including that all-important winning penalty in the 2014 League Cup Final. It's Adam Rooney. Adam Rooney, welcome to the ABZ Football Podcast. How's it going? Yeah, all good thanks. Good to finally be here. We finally got around to donna <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Hey, Adam, thanks for joining us. Delight to have you on board the good ship AB's NFP, and we know that our listeners are going to be really looking forward to to hearing from you. And let's just get going from the start. So, without any further ado, you were born in Dublin, 1988. Just talk to us a little bit about your kind of upbringing, and was football always your sport of choice, or were you at all attracted to any of the kind of other Gaelic sports in Ireland?
4: Yeah, no, I played. Um, I played a bit of Gaelic, but mainly just in skill. I used to clash with football on the weekend, so there was only ever really one winner. Um. My older brother played football growing up as a kid, so there's only the two of us. So I basically just followed followed him around the place, playing with his. He's four or five years older than me, so basically most of the youth was spent playing with him and his mates and trying to keep up with them and managed to compete with them quite a bit. So I think that stood me in good stead going forward. But yeah, no, always football. That was a bit of Gaelic in skill. I think I tried a bit of basketball and skill at one stage as well, but wasn't for me either.
0: Not quite the Irish Michael Jordan, no?
4: Not quite, no, couldn't, not quite the height or the pace.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and your boyhood team that you supported, and who was your favourite player when you were growing up? I
4: was a Man U fan growing up as a kid, but uh, Ronaldo, the Brazilian Ronaldo, is always the, my hero. I think every time he got a new pair of boots, I think I wanted them. Um He was, he was my idol growing up. Then you had obviously a couple of the Irish players, you Roy Kane and then eventually Robbie Kane. So yeah, um, no, but Man U fans growing up as a kid, can't say I still am these days, but uh, not really support anyone these days. But um yeah, no, Man United fan think half world was.
0: Another half's Liverpool,
4: eh? Pretty much, yeah. It's a bit more diverse now. There's a couple of Arsenal fans floating around. My my missus is an Arsenal fan all of her family, but uh there's quite it's quite it's quite diverse nowadays. Everyone's glory hunting, so there's probably a lot of city fans nowadays. Well, yeah, <laughs> <definitely.
2: laughs> well maybe uh, we'll skip forward to your your youth career, um, but so you have spells with uh Home Farm, Crumlin United and Cherry Orchard to also include uh, Willow Flood as a as a pass player. In terms of your, your youth career, you know, any particular people that maybe helped influence you at that stage with that, you know, coaches, family? Yeah, um
4: good, to be fair, I signed for uh Home farm as a schoolboy team when I was I think I was only eight years old. Me my older brothers I played for them as well. So it was handy for my dad to travel over. They were kind of the big schoolboy team around at the time and probably one of the best in the country. So I played for them with a manager called Harry McGuinness. He was brilliant with kids. I always remember him being good fun and being brilliant with the with the young kids. I've coached a little lad nowadays, so I know how difficult it can be and the patience you need. So looking back he was really good. Um the fair all my coaches at underage level were, were really good. They just they just go around kids and and making sure they're enjoying the football. It's not it wouldn't be too strict back in Ireland in terms of tactics and stuff like they do nowadays. It was more just about enjoyment and making sure lads done their best. Um most of my youth career at home farm went to Cherry Orchard for a year, that was a very good side, had a lot of good players, and then ended up at Crumlin. So that was just before I moved away. I'd done about two years at Crumlin, and I think we, we won most of the national trophies and stuff like that with a good squad. Quite a lot of that team ended up going away. Um, but I played with quite a few players around the Dublin area who, who ended up playing in the UK actually think Willie John Coyley, sorry, I think Willie John Coyley was at Aberdeen as a young lad. I'm not sure if he ever made it to the first team. He was in Aberdeen's youth setup before I got there. Oh, yeah, remember that name. Yeah, I remember the name. I always remember when he went off to Aberdeen. I think he played back in Ireland then for a few years, but he he, he, he made it at Aberdeen for a while.
2: Yeah, I'd forgotten. Yeah, you're right. I don't know if he, I can't recall him actually getting a debut, but I do remember the name, so he must yeah. have been in and around uh, at the point of time. So uh, given that uh, Willow Flood and Johnny Hayes are, Sort of you know plus or minus a couple of years from you and and grew up in a similar area. Were you aware of them at the time or was that just later on when you got to play with them?
4: They kind of played a couple of years above me. Um so I, I knew Johnny Show the Irish when I got involved in the Irish underage teams and stuff around the place I um I knew I knew who they were. Johnny was obviously a big name girl, but as was a Willow Flood. Um Willow more so was more of a name because he was a couple of years ahead of me but I always remember does it, a, it like a national place where you go to play games and cup finals and stuff and Willow I think had made it across to Man City at that time as a young lad and remember when the Irish coach kind of brought him across to say hello to us we were only kids at the time just to say hello and basically give us a bit of a, a cheer for the game and introduced himself and we were obviously obviously aspiring to try and get across to, to UK to play football as well so it was, it was good to meet him. but I didn't, wouldn't have actually known Willow really too much until probably the summer before he actually signed for Aberdeen I, I bumped into him on holidays um, in Portugal just before he signed for Aberdeen and we ended up on the piss for a while <laughs> 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 not a great drink I will <laughs> <laughs> no, so before that I, I knew who he was and I knew who Johnny was but I didn't really know um Willow, before I bumped into him too much in the holiday,
3: we uh we had the pleasure of speaking with Willow very recently. He's a hell of a character, isn't he? Oh brilliant Willow, yeah, he's a top top
4: fella. One of the manliest men I've ever met in his restaurant, <laughs> but <laughs> brilliant, brilliant lad. Like so yourself when you were a young player, always a striker? No, believe it or not, I used to be a pacey right winger. I don't think many people believe that. Is this? Um, <laughs> yeah, no, as uh, me team growing up as a kid, I was, I was very quick. Um. Was quickest in my legs and skills and stuff like that so uh, I was a pacey winger say, up to probably you know, 15 or 16 and then it kind of drifted on up front more so became we came a forward um, that's probably why Dad used to play me on the left wing he's seen glimpses of
3: that I was just going to say that must
4: be he must he must have been watching you back then seen that pace and trickery I had so he used to put me <laughs> on the wing but, uh, yeah no so Played as right winger mainly as a kid growing up just because speed used to just literally kick the ball on the line and run past people but um, I don't know where they lost that, I think last year around seven eight when I broke into the fourth team, I, I, to, I got an injury when I think about the top heavy, I never lost it.
3: So uh, come the summer 2005 you make the journey across the Irish Sea to sign for Stoke City, were there any other clubs that were interested at the same time?
4: Yeah, I was kind of late in terms of moving abroad. Um, most of the, the lads I would have played, I kind of went away 15, 16. I was 17. I was finishing my education. My parents were being, I'm making sure I got some sort of education behind me if I did manage to get away. Um, I'd been on trial at Forest a couple of times. They were quite keen to sign me. Um, went Whereas I'd been at Plymouth, I'd been at Bolton. Not loads, I'd been at Reading. I was unlucky at Reading, to be fair. I think they'd signed Shane Long and Kevin Doyle, couple of months previously and basically said, we can't sign another Irish striker, but they would have liked him to take me. So I wasn't too sure I was going to get away. I'd applied for a university and stuff in Ireland to do physiotherapy. At all. I had that's start looking at a career back home because I wasn't sure I'd actually make it across. Um, and then I just remember going to, to Stoke and I got literally got off the plane, went on a trial game. I think I scored a goal or two and straight out of the game, the, the UT manager told me to look to sign me. So it was between Forrest and um, Stoke, and I actually happened, to, I was leaning towards Forest but at the time I bumped into a guy called uh, John Devine who I knew through my Uke thing and he knew uh, a man called Terry Conroy who was a bit of a legend of Stoke and he he made it happen for Stoke. So I ended up going there and luckily it did, it uh, went quite well for me.
3: Excellent. Um, so you mentioned there that you were 17 when you made the move from Ireland. So you're maybe a little bit more mature than you know if you'd maybe moved a little bit younger. How did you find moving to England, um, moving from away from your family, a whole different country?
4: Um, it wasn't too bad, to be honest. I was in digs for a first couple of months. Um, I had a Brazilian guy called Adriano. He was a nice kid. Um, I was in digs, and then eventually i ended up getting an apartment. My folks would come over. My dad used to travel over for all the games, so at the weekends I'd see them. I'd get home some weekends back to Dublin because it's such a short flight. You get cheap flights back and across. So it wasn't too bad, and I got into the force team set up. We're in about four months, I think, I'd been starting with the force team. So as soon as that happened, I kind of... I didn't want to be going home really. I wanted to be staying there as much as possible. Um, but I settled quite quickly. I was quite mature for my age at that at the time, and it was okay to, to be on my own. Um, I say my parents were all quite a bit because it's just me and my brother. I wasn't like I had a massive family back back home that I was, I was missing out on. Um, but yeah, no, I settled quite well, and thankfully the football side was going well, so it, it makes it a lot
0: easier. As you just touched on, by January, um, of two thousand six, you're getting a first-team debut, coming off the bench for an FA Cup third-round tie at uh, Tamworth, coming on for the final 10 minutes and the whole of extra time Stoke eventually come through on penalty kicks. Did you have any indication from the manager that you were likely to get a run out in that game beforehand?
4: No, I knew it was, I knew it was on the squad and I had been kind of informed of being on the bench. I was obviously just delighted to, for, for that side of it. Um, oh, Tamworth, I think, at the time, or probably conference, we were at a championship. Um, I think we trailed, I'm not sure, it was Neil one won all at home. One Yeah. And then I just remember getting on the bench, and it was kind of a lively atmosphere, if you can imagine, because it was that day ground. Um, and I got sent out to warm up. Obviously, very nervous, but I just came on um, for a corner about 10 ago. I, say. I think we were one down at the time. And Michael Doobie just literally ran on the pitch. He was the captain at the time. He so had listened to us attack the near post. So I ran there, managed to get my head on it to keep saved, safe. and it was dropped on the line, and someone kicked it in. So I almost got my first touch in senior football. So... Would have been some start, but yeah, we eventually came to on panels. I wasn't on panels back then, <laughs> thankfully. I don't think I would have been a bottle on that one. But um, yeah, no, so I didn't really think I'd get on. I just thought it might be a bit of experience and in be involved because I'd done quite well in training. But yeah, it's was brilliant, obviously, to get on and make a debut so young.
0: Can you remember what was going through your mind when the gaffer tells you to get stripped and you're going on, especially because the game's so finely balanced at that point. And as you say, it's championship versus conference at the time. So it's a... A big risk, I guess, for my manager sticking a guy in for his debut at that point.
4: Yeah, I don't think you really think too much in terms of, I think, when you're older and you think it's a bit of a banana skin, the pressure from the fans, what could the repercussions if you're losing get knocked out a cup with them? So Young lad looking to make your debut, you're just absolutely buzzing to try and get on the pitch and try and go and get a goal or do well. So, no, just excitement more than anything. Obviously, you know it's that you want to do well, don't let yeah. down, but you're just excited and buzzing to get on the pitch at that age. Just, that's the thing, you try things you may not try when you're a bit older because you play with freedom and the. You know, no matter what you do, you're not really going to get much of a bollocking. Yeah, <laughs>
2: true. Well, uh, well, fast forward to April, and you you come off the bench at half time in a fixture at Reading, and you get a goal within 14 minutes of you coming onto the pitch. Can you remember? And I imagine you were probably delighted, but you maybe just describe what it's like getting that first professional goal.
4: Yeah, it was like, actually, I was delighted. I actually remember the game. I came on right wing. Funny enough, in that game, <laughs> I came on. um and uh, I, I got sent up top then after 20 minutes. I remember, I can't remember the Sent centre half, did a massive centre half. He was a unit. I remember going up top, and as I said, it was only 70. I went up for a header with him forcing, and he absolutely destroyed me in the air. I thought, oh, I'm not ready for this. Um, but funny enough, I got uh, my first goal, probably like most of my goals, was a, was a tap in, a rebound. I remember Paul Gallagher cutting in from the left, had a shot, and the keeper spilled, and we kicked it in for about three, four yards, followed in, and got a tap in. Let's go with the other 150 of them, I have, I think. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, no, uh, listen, I was absolutely delighted. Um, there was a big kind of uh, hassle for me folks at the time because they travelled over from Ireland to go to the game because they thought I'd be involved. Um, they'd stayed night in, in London, I think, down Readingway, and they realised next day that you couldn't get tickets. You had to go to Stoke to get the tickets to get in. So oh, right. actually drove up to Stoke Reading that morning to get back down for the game. and I think he's delighted he did because... Man, watch watched the fourth senior goal. So, yeah, no, it was a great feeling to get that goal. We got beaten. I think Reading went up that season. They were very good. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, just absolutely
2: to like, get your four senior goal. So, uh, following on from that, you, you grab a hat-trick in what was only your second first team start in a 5-1 victory over Mark McGee's Brighton on the final day of the 2005-06 season, uh, which actually made you Stoke's youngest ever hat-trick scorer. Can you remember much about that game? Yeah, I knew I was starting that
4: one all right. And in the last game of the season, I knew I'd be getting a start. I think me and a couple of other young lads were involved in the squad. And I'd, I'd got a couple of sub appearances in between um, since then. I think I made me four start a couple of weeks previously against Coventry. We got beaten 2 0, maybe. Um, but yeah, I knew I was starting that game. So folks again were all for that one. I was going straight home after the game for me nanny's birthday. So I was looking forward to coming back with a good result. Um, and yeah, I just remember that I think I got a goal early you on. Know, it was like a cut back on the edge of the box someone slipped me in and I managed to finish and sky sky high after that so to go and get a hat-trick obviously at that age was a brilliant experience and obviously finishing the season on a high um, after the game the manager Johan Boskamp his name was um, just said to me listen have a great summer and come back for and you're going to get a lot a lot of minutes next season um, me I'm really impressed with you and really like your great attitude you've done great and look forward to next season you're kind of a big big season ahead so make sure you rest up um, I was obviously busing going back in the summer I think two weeks later the club got sold and they sacked the manager <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> a lot of footballs about time and so uh, yeah now they brought Tony Pulis in who obviously wasn't so keen on young lads but that um, yeah. kind of put a bit of a, a backbone around me for a time being
3: yeah it's uh, interesting you mentioned that because so that's going to be the next question Um, so the people who own 365 that's who own Stoke isn't it
4: yeah Peter Coates uh, Peter Coates
3: yeah so he brings in Tony Pulis Finishing the season, you've come in making an impression you're expecting to be involved. Pulis comes in, like you say, a very pragmatic manager, it would seem, builds his team around experience and units. You made 12 substitute appearances, but you made no starts. Was there like any conversation with him regarding the way he saw you? Did he just not fancy you or was he the kind of manager that
4: would say that to you? No, not really. But I, even to say, I would never really go and question. Man, just whether not playing, it just do my best and keep my head down. If, if the manager wants to pick you, they're gonna pick you. At that age, I was only young. Um, Tony Peel was obviously experienced manager, and he brought in a lot of uh, experienced, big lads. Um, I was obviously not the biggest, sort of quickest, or of fittest, so um, I was more of a goal scorer. And, Onto the on pitch, but um, now we get to fair. He gave me a few starts, and I can never say it bad about the man. He he didn't he didn't suit me in terms of he came in the style and it probably limited my chances as a player under him. But the job he done for the club was incredible, and you can't you can't complain because the results he got and, and what he actually achieved with the football club was incredible. But yeah, now in terms of being a young lad there, it probably didn't suit us. Um, I remember getting back in the summer that summer when a few of the lads had, I think worked under him previously and basically gave us a heads up that listen we're not getting much of a look in here under the new manager. You'll go for experience every time over us. You've, you'd be very lucky to get games. So I did actually get a couple of games today. I got a couple of sub-appearances, majority of them, are, I think the last five, ten minutes of game, getting thrown on to try and nick something. But I never really got a start or stuff like that. So I kind of understood I needed to get on loan then towards the end of that season and try and get some first-team football somewhere and, and play regular because of how well the first season has gone. Yeah. So, a bit, bit stop-start, so... um. Yeah, no, listen, I can't say anything bad about the man. He's, he's a nice fella. He he's done an unbelievable job. But for
0: me, he's a young lad that just didn't suit me with the time, <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and you just t- touched on it like in March 2007, you make the loan move to Yeovil, um, made three appearances there before you returned to Stoke. And then after the close season, you made the move to Chesterfield on a four month loan 22 appearances, six goals. And that was followed up by another loan then at Bury, uh, 16 appearances, and then three goals. And at the same time, all that's going on. Stoke have got themselves promoted to the, the English Premier League. They finished in second place that season of the Championship. Were you then out of contract in that summer or was there a decision made to, to let you go?
4: No, um, it was decision made. I remember coming back for pre-season, the club had obviously gone up. Um, I was desperate to try and get some... I'd have forced me way in and be around that because the club was going into the Premier League I thought what experience this could be. If we could keep me head down, pick up a few lads pick up injuries, you never know. But... They think he just literally paid us well, six or seven million for Dave Kitson at the time. I think he brought in another striker. Um, we'd already got a number of strikers there and, and Tom Pills basically said, listen, there's clubs in for you on loan. Do you want to go, you're not really going to feature? Um, I'd been told Inverness were in for me at the time. To be honest, I didn't know where Inverness was at the time. I wasn't sure where it was. I honestly didn't know what part of Scotland it was. Um. I was told they were interested. So I kind of batted it away and said, No, listen, I want to stay here and fight for a spot over preseason, see if we can impress. And he basically shut me down and said, Listen, I've just spent six million on a forward, you're not going to play here. You need to go and, and get some games on loan, and see how you do it that way. So I agreed to go to um I think it was Denmark with Inverness for a week for basically to see if I wanted to go on loan to them or not. It was kind of like the opposite of a trial. I was going to see if I wanted to go there. Usually they you in so uh I said I'd go and see because I'd get a couple of games in and get some fitness in. And I went and I loved it. I loved it, the group. I had, got on great with them. It was a great bunch of boys there. Um, had a really good trip with them, good experience. And then got back and said, Yeah, actually, I wouldn't mind doing this. Um, but then Stoke were then reluctant to let me alone. I was in the last year of my contract going to that year. So if I had I gone to Scotland until I think January time, I don't think Stoke would have got any compensation for me if I mm. went across the border to Scotland, whatever way the Bosmans work. So Stoke wouldn't let me go on a loan Because initially I could sign for someone in Scotland In the January On a pre-contract And Stoke would probably lose out On a lot of compensation So the two clubs came kind to of an agreement In terms of a permanent contract um, So I ended up getting bought Not sure what the figure was I don't think it was too much I think it was 50 or 75 grand Or something like that at the time um, Which is probably a bit of money for Inverness To be fair For a young lad Um, But yeah I managed to go and, and sign three
0: years there We'll come back on to the move to Inverness In just two seconds But just for you personally at that point, what's kind of going through your mind after you've, you've made the move to England? You've, you've done well initially, um, getting into the first team pretty quickly at Stoke, scoring some goals. Things just don't quite work out, even with the loan spells where you've at least gone out, got some games, got some goals. Were you kind of concerned at that point that that might be a kind of, not not an end of, of, of your opportunities, but it's a, it's a bit of a setback, I guess, at that point in your career to to be cut loose.
4: Yeah, well, looking back now, I'm like I'm looking at lads now, and they're going to these 23 squads, and I'm not playing a game but 22. I think it's incredible. Yeah. I probably played 50, 60 games by the time I was 19, 20, which is a lot of football for a young uh, a young lad nowadays. Yeah. Um. Now, obviously, the season, the fourth season coming over went better than I could have ever expected. Second season kind of dwindled away a bit in terms of couldn't get much time on the pitch at all and sitting around playing reserve games after expecting to be in the first teams was a bit downer then. The tour now on Chesterfield, I actually enjoyed my time at Chesterfield because I was playing, although wasn't starting every week, I was starting every second week, say, or get a run of games, I'd be out for a couple of games, we actually enjoyed playing week in, week out, and I felt I was getting better as a player that way. And that's, yeah. I think it was just try and go somewhere where I was going to play regular football. I just thought what age it would have been then, I think I was maybe 20, 21 maybe, I was like 20, I'm trying to think when I was, I was doing this, must have been 20, and just thinking at that age, I wanted to try and go and play. 40, 50 games in a season and get that on my belt and then see where i can go there because I thought that would really help me progress so that was the, the intention was to go to Inverness and, and go on and try and do that Scottish Premiership and challenge myself to get to play against like the Celtic How did you find working with uh, Xdon Craig Brewster? Oh, i on great with Craig I still speak to him occasionally um, I drop my message every now and again it, I thought it was very unfortunate at the time he obviously got sacked he brought me in and um, played me a bit dropped me out of the team a bit but Fair looking back, it's probably justifiable. We were, we were struggling in the league. Um, we had a couple of forwards doing different stuff with Andy Barrowman there, who was a good hold of man. With Gary Wood, who was getting games, he was a young lad doing well, putting himself about, uh, more of a goal scorer, but we weren't creating a whole lot of chances. So although I didn't play as much as so I would have liked in that first year and would want more games, actually like Craig is a, as a person, he's a top fella. Um, Great player as well. He used to train in with us still. Most days he used to join in the five sides, and he's possibly one of the best players. <laughs> um but well, yeah, no, I enjoyed working on Craig. It was very I think most of the lads at the time remember we were actually sad the same same goal.
3: You did get your first goal for Cali in a 2-1 home defeat to two and It's your fifth appearance. We've spoken with a number of strikers on this podcast and they all talk about the importance of getting the first goal under your belt, especially at a new club. Was that like a a relief, like a weight off your shoulders getting
4: that first goal? Um, I can't really remember to be honest with you um, I'm sure it was at the time but looking back now no, I think I think it was actually a memorable goal I think it might have been like the 5000th league goal or something like that I think I have a ball on the hill somewhere with a, written on it I think, was, I think
0: it was the 6,000th SPL goal or something
4: like that so, yeah I remember it being something alright because I remember I have a box somewhere the house. I think the little lad kicks it around the house <laughs> <laughs> it, has, it
0: has
4: something written on us it's kind of fading away now the marker on it but <laughs> yeah, now it's just when you as I say you get to a new club you want to score as early as possible as a striker just to get up and running yeah. the more you don't then probably it starts to dwell on it, especially as a, when you're a bit younger you kind of worry about these type of things but um, yeah no it was, it was good to get off the mark and get going and I mean, what I think I ended up, the shows are bad the season was, I think I was the top scorer that year with six goals, <laughs> I think, so it probably sums up why we got relegated, but, um, yeah, no, it was good to get the first goal and get off the mark for, for a new club, and unfortunately, you didn't win the game, but it's good, as as a striker, you want to you get up and running.
3: Yeah, absolutely, so, as we've said, it's a season of struggle for Cali, and Craig Busters eventually sacked January 2009, seven straight defeats, uh, causing the board to take that decision. And Teddy Butcher takes the helm along with Morris Malpass, I believe. They're unable to steer the club away from the bottom and kind of relegate with 37 points, which remains to date the highest points tally for any club to be relegated from the SPL. So it shows the kind of fight that the club put up for anyway. Um, as you say, you scored six goals in 36 appearances. The following season, that's when we start to get the the numbers that we come to associate with Adam Rooney. 26 goals in 42 games, including two hat-tricks as Inverness secure an instant return to the top flight, overhauling uh, Dundee. You got a 15-point uh, lead in January, and you're also named the first division player of the year. Uh, that season also sees the first link-up for yourself with Johnny Hayes in Scotland, and you strike up an instant rapport with uh, with your fellow countrymen. What was it you think about your respective styles that married up so well?
4: I've got a clue. I should have brought Johnny everywhere at me, though. Yeah, I actually don't know. To be I remember Johnny came in, I think, in the pre-season. Was it from Leicester or Reading? He'd been. I know he was at Reading when he was younger, and I think it might have been Leicester, maybe. I want to say Leicester, yeah. yeah. I never knew. As I say, I never really came across I knew who he was and stuff, but I didn't really know him as a lad or anything. But I don't know. It's just something clicked straight away. It was... Um, Still to this day people ask what well, me and Johnny have a great thing I think the fact that I used to just run away from Johnny And force him to have to beat six players Used to help him Um, <laughs> Johnny used to get the ball and I used to just run in the box Because he's so quick and good at can boy people I used to just leave him to it um, And I think it with him just having someone to run And he just used to put the ball in And thankfully he used to put some great balls in the box And fair I've got a lot of goals But when you get service that's <laughs> regular And you know where someone's going to keep putting the ball it makes it a lot easier, and um, when you have that understanding with someone, and to be fair, it was me, Johnny, and Richie. We used to go the the Irish trio front people used to call us but yeah, now we we just got on so well off the pitch as well. We we go crack, go banter around the place. We got on well. Richie's a bit older than us, but still to this day, the three of us will have a chat together. Um, but yeah, them two were brilliant for me. Um, the, the amount of balls he used to get in the box into dangerous areas, and it made it a lot easier on me to be honest. Um, I don't think I'd actually started that season very well. Terry Butcher wasn't really helping me, I don't think, from when he came in initially. Um, I think in the summer when we got relegated, I'd spoke to him, he said, right, we've been relegated, we're going to need your goals next year to get us up. So I thought, right, a surprise because I hadn't played a whole lot under him. Um, and then I think my agent rang him later that day and he was told can basically, if you can get someone to take me, you take me. <laughs> um, so I don't, I wasn't going that full of confidence that he wanted me there. Um, and then I just remember, I think it was Morton at home that season, we played. I've been working hard. I've been doing a lot away from the football club. I've been working with a personal trainer the gym, trying to strengthen myself up and to keep myself in shape and make sure I got a chance. I was ready and started against Morton at home. I think I banged in a hat trick and I don't think I missed a game after that four butcher. Um, so we, we got on brilliant after that. So, um, yeah, but now just having the understanding between Richie and Johnny and myself was just it was just a natural thing. It's not something you can really work on.
0: I mean, on a personal level for you, it's pretty much a perfect season, um, a one and two record in terms of goals, basically, player of the season, instant uh, promotion back to the top flight for Everness. Was there any contemplation about making a move away from Cali at the end of that season?
4: Not really then, no. Um, I obviously had such a good season and enjoyed it so much and, and felt finally settled at a football club where obviously you got in the number of games when initially moved up there. that was the intention to get that number of games when we belt and try and go and get that number of goals and, and to feel confidence and develop as a player and I felt I was just looking forward it was unbelievable to go straight back up I think we might have been the first team to do it to, to get relegated out of the league and go straight back up so the achievement after achievement the, the camaraderie within the lads a, as I said it was a great group in Inverness with a great atmosphere a great bunch of boys around the place we used to socialise outside It's nothing else to be doing in Inverness so we used to go on <true. laughs> you golf and play coffee uh, play golf and have coffees together and all says days and just always hanging around to play poker nights so it was a great group of boys so I was very settled there Um, I think that actually probably one of the reasons we got that year because I'm sure in January time Dundee had Griffiths and Harkins and stuff I think they were I want to say they were 15 points clear of us coming mid-January I think we won the season by about 12 points um, which some swing but I think that was down to the, the group of lads and to be fair the the, the way um, Butcher and Malpais got the lads together and, and believe the belief they showed in us. Um, so, yeah, no, I finished that season really, just really positive on a high. And I was just really desperate to get back. I didn't actually want the season the end. It's one of them. I just want to kick straight on to the next year.
0: Well, and you kind of pretty much do, though, to be fair. Um, the next season back in the top flight it's another impressive one for you it's 21 goals and 42 appearances. So, again, uh, one every two games record. Includes your first top flight hat trick against Hibs. uh Inverness comfortably finished in seventh spot. Um, but at the end of the season, upon the expiry of your deal at Inverness, you then make the move to Birmingham City, who were then a uh, championship. Were there any other clubs interested you at the time? And, and if so, what was it that attracted you to, to Birmingham?
4: Yeah, um, well, I spoke to Colin Calderwood at Hibs in the January. They were quite keen in the January to try and get something done. I spoke to Terry Butcher, I'd said, uh, listen, as I said, really enjoyed my time there, but... At that stage, when it followed up me previous season and I'm doing well, I thought right, I'm developing here as a player. I, I want to test myself. I think I'm doing well. I can see and push myself on. Um, Hibbs were were keen on me in the January. He allowed me to speak to them. I spoke with Colin, really nice guy and very good club and the setup he had. But I decided against it. I said I didn't really I want to go even better than that. Um, and I decided to let my contract run down. My agent had said to was obviously clubs keen and. Um, and when you mentioned the likes of Birmingham and also spoke Cardiff, I couldn't really, it wasn't an opportunity really to come down. Birmingham, obviously coming down the premiership, Cardiff were were having the right goal at the time. Um I spoke, I think Martin Cloud was the manager at the time. So I spoke with both of them and, and opted to go for um Birmingham. and um, McLeish was the manager at the time, but the day before I flew over to him me in medical. I seen in the news that he resigned. So <laughs> <laughs> that's right, he bails it for a villa, doesn't he? Yeah, oh, is so um, son, John he worked in the same agency as my agent so they were good friends so I said surely you had a heads up on this one <laughs> 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 no <laughs> or, uh yeah so that was a, it was a bit of a hang around then we really, to see what was going to happen I'd obviously spoke to Cardone up for Birmingham and Crawley were in at the time as well for me they were quite keen Steve Evans was the manager there they were they were having a right push to try and get up through the leagues and trying to get me basically saying on oh, the Birmingham Dale's dead There's no one at the minute so I was trying to apply a bit of pressure that way but I held on and um, Chris Young came in and he'd watched all the video footage and stuff they put together on me. And he said, no, he wants to go ahead of the deal. So it was obviously buzzing. And they'd obviously just won the cup the previous season in the Premier League with a
2: squad full of unbelievable players. So it was great for myself to go in there and try and test myself. Make your full uh, debut for Birmingham in a 2-1 defeat away to Derby County on the opening day of the season before getting your first goal Uh, two weeks later actually a penalty to open the scoring at Middlesbrough before future Don's teammate Barry Robson equalises and unfortunately Borough run out 3-1 winners a second goal follows a week later in a two-all draw at Watford so at that point you've got a couple of goals early on in your Birmingham career are you feeling fairly settled and quite happy at that point?
4: Yeah, again, kind of better than expected. Um, I went in there with signed, I think, Marlon King, who's a big name, and um, Ziggic was there from the year before. Um, we brought Chris Wood in on loan from, I want to say it was West Brom at the time, who's obviously gone on to do okay. I'm trying to think what so was well, Yeah, so those, those forwards there and a new sign of Arbain coming coming in and from Scottish Premiership with Vanessa that I was going to have to really try and force my way in. I mean, I wasn't expecting to go in and be a main starter, and I thought I'd have to work and grind away. and hopefully away for an opportunity and, and then take it but I can't remember what I think have got injured Marilyn King got injured and it turned out he ended up getting a lot more games at the beginning of the season than I would expected I think we played pre-season friendly in Cork we scored on that in the first game and then we played Everton just before the season kicked off we beat them 1-0 scored on that so it hit pre-season pretty well was feeling confident, feeling good. surrounded by very good players, and just keen to kind of impress and work hard. Um, and then obviously it's good to get a couple of goals early on at that level. Um, just to show that you're capable. So yeah, it was obviously it was, it was a great start. I must mention though, because he was brilliant that game. It killed me if you see this, I hope he
2: doesn't listen to it to be honest. You're sure. He was he was brilliant that season for Middlesbrough. So yeah, like I said, it was always good to get goals, and there is probably that element of Birmingham fans saying, well. Why are we taking a guy from Inverness? What's this all about? So, it's probably quite good to get everyone on side early on. Uh, and obviously, the best way to do that in your position is to, to put the ball in the back of the net. So, uh, following on that, uh, unfortunately, appearances start to, to dry up from the end of September. You make a few sub appearances, although you do start and score the only goal in a 1 0 uh, win over Maribor, actually, in the Europa League. Given that your your appearances had sort of tailed off, any anyone give you any particular reason for that, or is that just kind of one of these things? That's what happens. No, to be honest, I say I started more games at the beginning of the season than I'd expected, and we hadn't
4: expected to make that many games. I'd, I'd done all right, um, but with uh, with as I say, with Marlon King come back, he would been brought in. I think as the main striker. Zikic was there on, on massive wages, and obviously played in the Premier League the year before, so I knew I was up against it and then I was back fit and I had to battle and away from the opportunities Chris Wood had come in and done well he'd scored goals he was a goal scorer as well I think we brought another lad in from Portsmouth at the blind Husklap I think it's, I can't remember his name to be honest another forward came in so yeah those, those competition for places some weeks I was in the stand watching them some weeks on the bench come on started some games but um, yeah no listen I really enjoyed my time that season um, I'd, I'd say got managed to score in Europa League against Maribor I have a feeling they're going to mention Maribor later again um, I'm guessing that'll be a question. We might. Yeah, that might be a question. <laughs> yeah, so i <I'll> scored <laughs> score against them. <laughs> yeah, no, so i managed to score in the Europa League against them. And to, uh, a lot of the games I actually started that season, Um, I kind of started as a lone striker. Christian was very good at rotating the squad and, and and giving lads games and opportunities when he could. We had a lot of games because of the Europa League and we did well in the Cup, so... A lot of the time I actually started as a lone striker and I think played Man City away as a lone striker, Chelsea away lone striker. It's some great occasions and great um, experiences, but probably wouldn't have been getting hundreds and hundreds of chances in them games. I'd probably look at no. two or three touches most of the time. So <laughs> I think I've I done well in terms of what I actually got, but it was understandable as well that I could have got more games. But let say, you would forwards there who experienced that level and, and done it at an even higher level. So I was battling against that as well. So it was all about trying to bide your time, and you just gain experience and, and develop. To sum up that season, Birmingham eventually finished in fourth spot but miss out on
3: promotion to the Premier League after defeat to Blackpool in the playoffs. On a personal level for yourself, it's 27 appearances all in, scoring seven goals. And you've mentioned there that you know, you're stuck against some Real competition both in terms of quality and as you say, Ziggitch was on huge money. I remember reading about this. So there's probably an obligation felt to play him by the manager. And as as we, as you say as well, playing one up top, so the chances are gonna be limited. Correct me if I'm wrong, does Chris Hewitt leave in that summer then to go to Norwich?
4: He does, yeah. Chris is probably one of the best managers I've ever had. Um brilliant, brilliant guy as I said, although I didn't play every week, not respect from lovely fella very good around the place Say he rotated squads and kept squads happy that season there was a lot of um a lot of obviously acid outside the, the club in terms of financial stuff and the owners and what was going on he dealt all that well he kept a good group and I think we had 62 games that season when he managed to utilize everyone keep everyone involved and feel involved and part of it and as I say I got to experience some great occasions playing in smart city away up top of my own Chelsea away and, and played to Europa League and Obviously got some games in the championship as well the only disappointing part was the fact that we got we um, missed out on playoffs um that season and i think the last game of the season was reading had come on and scored so i was hopefully pushing for an opportunity in the playoffs but never mind she got on so that was the only disappointment to the end of it really um chris rang me in the summer when he left i think he rang most of the lads just to say thanks for um all our efforts and and all the best for for next season so I would have liked him, Chris to stay on. I think if we had to stay it on, i actually think I would have maybe kicked on a little bit the next season again. But um what as I say football changes quickly. <laughs> opinions, the opinions and managers' opinions and that's it. So unfortunately for me, Chris left and um someone came in who didn't really like me. <laughs> I was gonna say who took over from him? Lee Clark came in. Again, it's not again he came in and brought his own players in, like he, he had his own players if He wanted to bring anything. He brought in Ambrose, Love and Crowns, and he had a couple of players we brought in similar position to me. and I never really got much of an opportunity, even in pre-season for him. So I never felt I got an, uh, an opportunity to show what I actually could do. Um, and I, I think I made one slight appearance for him before going out alone to Swindon.
3: Well, let's move on to Swindon. Yes. So you go from Chris Hutton, who is a uh, very well-regarded individual and everyone always mentions that he's a very nice, calm, measured man. You then move to go work under Paulo Canio. That must have been an experience there's one way the butt, yeah
4: <laughs> 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 the experience alright yeah um, yeah it's just yeah crazy crazy times Um, I remember signing and I remember the first few weeks thinking I remember laughing a lot and thinking he's nuts like i are thinking it's the way he goes on in the training the, the smallest thing it to be warming up to stay on like turns, and you, it's a lot of stuff you do was like 12-13 year old like just basic stuff to are but he'd be stopping it in the middle of the warm up and going mental or something for not actually doing it at full speed, and people are looking around, and thinking, "Is he for real?" Like, can you laugh? But then after a couple of weeks, he realize, "No, this is just him non-stop." He is, I'd say, he's the most dedicated professional I've ever seen. I'd say a player, and I think that's what he demanded from from every player, even at that level. And I think, I think that was where he struggled with it, Um the fact that he wanted lads to to live and breed to be the best possible footballer you can be, but was at the like league one level, which. <laughs> I'd be surprised if Ronaldo behaves well enough for what DeCandio wants. Like it's it's amazing. It's funny though, some experience with him, but yeah, he he could lose the head already. Do you think it was maybe that
3: expectation level that meant that he ultimately I mean he went he went to Sunderland afterwards, but I'm not really aware of him having a managerial career. Since then?
4: I'm not sure he's managed since to be honest. No, I always remember seeing him um, like just some basic stuff there, but like it'd it, it stop people And how to pass the ball to an inside of their foot. And I'm looking around and thinking, but like, professional half of these have played. Like I think one of the lads was Tommy Miller. He played for like I think he played in the premiership. He's t- mid, probably mid 20s at the time. I remember stopping him how to pass the ball To the inside of his foot and saying he uh, was like he's <laughs> <laughs> the level he's saying, I'm sure he doesn't have to pass the ball, but I actually remember seeing a fault or a video clip that when he'd gone to Sunderland and I'm sure it was John O'Shea who'd won the Champions League and he's shown him how he wants him to pass the ball the inside sort of thing. <laughs> I'm sure he knows about the pass the ball. At. But it's just the attention to detail. If you jumped off your wrong foot for a header, he'd have a video of it on you and he'd be hammering you about it. Just the, everything, like your body language, your body shape. Uh, like you can't actually, if anyone speaks so many pulled up, you couldn't actually go against what he's saying in terms of, yeah, you're probably right, but at the same time, it's just like, i don't think anyone could be good enough in terms of what he expects from them and i think that's where you struggle with lads at that level um the, the strangest part was the fact that when assigned from, i signed from definitely you know i met before i just remember what a player he was his skill first thing i remember the going crazy at people for um like flicking the ball and I, was, I was like i'm sure that's all he used to do was flick the ball <laughs> and wonder goals and scale and he hated people flicking the ball. It's just it was so regimented. Um, yeah. we're, we, to be fair, we're, we went before he we left. If he hadn't left, I think we actually would have went and got promoted that year, um, because we were so drilled, we were so organised. I've seen coaching videos since, and it looks similar to me. I'm sure it's like Italian '90s type stuff the way we used to do in training. You'd walk through your shape, you'd be regimented. You, as soon as you lost the ball, you'd sprint back into your position as quick as possible. If you didn't sprint, it'd just take you off. You just take. He oh, brought me on against Baum at the home. One game, um, about 10 minutes ago, came on the front and it was a throw-in and I think the player took a throw-in and I went to close him down and I remember turning around and he was going nuts. He said to get you know, forward to go and get one. I heard him say, get one. He's not ready. He had this thing mentally because I didn't sprint as fast as I could to close the player down a throw-in. He just assumed that wasn't me ready to come on and play in the game. And I was thinking, I'm getting taken off here two minutes later. And then we got a free kick, I and mean, minute later and scored. I think we beat Bournemouth 4-0 or something at the time. And I scored about two minutes later and got left on but I remember thinking I'm getting taken off two minutes coming on because I didn't sprint to his liking but the, the like he dragged it was the famous one when he took Wes Fodringham off yeah, my, yeah. that was my debut five of us signed the night before he told us ready always warm up properly because no problem making subs in the first half <laughs> I didn't think he was not about to keep it at all i think here. yeah but uh, yeah now yeah some experience under him like I've never experienced anything like it but as I say, he actually had us so well drilled and, and so regimented and we were are we were a very good side with some good cool players and it was a very good squad of players.
3: All in all, it's 33 appearances with 10 goals. It's a pretty tight return for yourself as Swindon just missed out on making the playoff final, beaten on penalties by Brentford in the semis.
4: shay Logham was in that squad. For the, oh, for the Brentford yeah, team that Brentford team.
3: Uh, by all accounts, we are of the understanding it was an p- agreement in place you we were going to make a
4: permanent transfer to Swindon. Is that right? Yeah, I can't say too much on this. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, there was um, there was something there, yeah. <laughs> I'll go into the next section and you can decide if it's appropriate or not. So I was going to say, as it is, uh, Swindon Town, new owners query the validity of the requirement to purchase you and you end up signing a two-year deal with, uh, with Oldham um, instead, I guess that's the way these things maybe go. So you grab your first goals for Oldham, scoring two in a 3 1 win over Port Vale in your fifth appearance, and then fairly consistent presence in the starting lineup. But I think, and again, this is just what you find on a Google search there. I read somewhere that you weren't particularly enjoying life at Boundary Park. Is that fair or accurate, or is that just something that's out there? It's probably something I've said in interviews.
4: Um, since to be honest, um, I wasn't. I wasn't enjoying. It. I, I enjoyed the, the group of lads. Um, I just wanted to start a football suited me. And um, we were very possession based. Lee Johnson's very. We at the time he was very up and coming coach, and he had great ideas in terms of being total football, Barcelona type football, and keeping the ball and heavily possession based. We a lot, a lot of teams are actually doing it more now these days. Um, but at the time in League One. I, I wanted to go somewhere where I get in the box and get crosses and get in the end of things and, and get myself going again I um, was desperate to do that I wanted to go and try and help get us promoted and we didn't really we didn't really do that that much um, I became a lot more reliant on being more of a link man and coming and getting involved in that side of the play and, and the team, you know, So that's not my strong point <laughs> Um, so yeah no I just, I just don't think the team suited me to be honest and when you're in a team that you don't think suits you it's it's not really the most enjoyable. Um you want to be I wanted to be in the box getting on the end of crosses and stuff. And we weren't really doing it. We're keeping a lot of game possession, we were keeping hold of the ball, we were we're moving it well, but then we go and a team would kick the ball along and they beat us one 0 and that type of thing. So it's frustrating at times um to play in. But uh, and I I wasn't myself playing my best football. I was obviously a bit dismayed over the holes, what happened to Swindon and then it kind of I was rushing around trying to get a club, I spoke to a couple of clubs and I'd spoke to Crawley. Um, and Alden was a couple of others in, but I ended up signing um for Alden and I just it just never really felt settled. Um I didn't feel like this was the, the, the right team for me. Um and I wasn't I don't think I performed well enough to kind of see them. I was down with myself probably in terms of it doesn't suit me and we needing to make a change. And and then I'd obviously come to i spoke to Lee Johnson around the Christmas January time about making moving on and he was kind of in agreement that, yeah, probably the team might be selling myself to something there and we could we could look at down something.
2: Yeah, I guess, same as any walk of life is it, sometimes it clicks, sometimes it doesn't, you know, that, that's just the way it goes. So that leads me quite nicely on to, uh, of course, where, where Aberdeen step in. So 23rd of January 2014, it was announced that you'd signed for Aberdeen on a two and a half year deal. How did that move come about, you'd mentioned you were maybe looking to go and maybe some other clubs, but was there much competition or, you know, why did you decide Aberdeen was where you wanted to end up? So, it was quite
4: a few up in Scotland, yeah. Um, it mainly came down to between, um obviously, Aberdeen and Hibs. Terry Butcher had been in the Hibs. Um, I'd, I'd spoke to them, so Terry and Morris were there. I'd obviously known that every time Inverness and I'd obviously spoke to Hibs previously as well before actually going down to England from Inverness. So, I'd gone and seen the facility, seen the setup, and how good it was. Um, I'd spoke to Willow in the summer previously, before on, when he was off the um when he was off the Aberdeen, and I'd kept an eye on them since because of him. I knew Johnny was there, It's I'd always kept in touch with Johnny. So he'd always gone on about how basically Aberdeen was like very similar to Inverness in terms of the the group of lads he had there, the atmosphere and around. But he just said it was like a massively, massively hyped up version. Um, he said that he can't go anywhere around city or. Looking for an autograph for a photo, and it's brilliant. And I was thinking Johnny's a bit of a spoofer, he's probably lying. No one's asking him for a photo. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, how much is he being honest here? Yeah, and I actually rang John Robertson at Inverness. Um I knew him talking about Inverness, and I asked him what he thought would be um best suited to me because I said I wanted a go somewhere. I was going to actually go and get chances and, and score goals I wanted to get go- going again. And he and he said you'd definitely recommend in he said, the job they're doing there at the minute, how how they're playing, and you, and you can only see it going really one way, and, and they just decided to go for it. I spoke to Derek McGuinness before, um, well, it, it, when I was at in Vanessa originally, I I'd, I think they were sniffing around to try and take me to St. Johnson at the time. I think it, I think I never actually got down to them or anything, but I think it kind of fell through on the deadlines um, and they moving there possibly. I think it was when they were actually in the championship and I started doing okay and scoring a few goals and and thought I might, I might make me up but um yeah so I I'd, I'd previously planned on going work with them I'd, I'd ask people about me for and they always spoke very highly of them so at the end yeah I just decided
0: it'd be the best option for me. Robbo was never going to recommend you go to Hebbs, was he let's be honest.
4: <laughs> Looking back now I should have probably considered that one now. <laughs> <laughs>
0: As it is, Adam, you make a, a pretty instant impression. A goal in your debut a couple of days after signing at Fair Park in a 2-2 draw in front of a, a pretty vociferous away supporters, I recall. Uh, you kind of touched on it earlier on, but we're just going to bring it back up. I mean, again, for you on a personal level, a goal in your debut is pretty much about as, as good as it can get.
4: Yeah, it was obviously a desperate player. I think I signed on the tour, to so maybe i travel up. Johnny had been messaging me saying, you signed for us. He'd obviously heard rumours, and uh, Stephen Gunnar had been telling me, don't tell anyone, don't tell anyone, but... Like pretty much in the building I think the lads were next door and I think Reynolds or something might have been in he was always in and around the club busy man at Reynolds so uh he'd um I think he'd spotted me and said something um and then obviously that was a tourist so Friday down the train so I wasn't expecting this to actually start the game on a Saturday but he put me straight in and actually thought I'd done quite well in the game I'd played quite well and and then yeah obviously to get the goal I just remember falling in I think Noel came in and on was, was right and had one of his shots and as they do, just follow in on keepers, and, and thankfully managed to get that goal. Um, I think Russell ended up scoring, did he? he a leak on? It did last minute, I think. Yeah, it was a draw, but it felt it felt a lot better than a draw because uh, I felt like it was getting going again. Um, and you yeah, you instantly you fit into it. You walked in the dressing room, you know, I mean, instantly got on all the lads. As a as I could say, it was a great, was a great, great atmosphere there. It's something that Derek and Doc worked very really hard on us getting a good atmosphere and banter among the lads and making sure it's a good group of boys so that there's no agreement on it. Everyone just gets on with it. And you could tell that instantly from going into that terrestrial, that could good fit in there.
0: And as, as it's it's a real baptism of fire for, for you. and um, The following week brings with it a small matter of a League Cup semi-final at Tyne Castle against St Johnston. Just, if you can, Adam, your kind of recollections of the build-up to that game. And are you kind of having to, I'm not going to say pinch yourself, but you know you've come in from a level of despondency I guess where how things were going at Oldham to be coming in playing in a major cup semi-final a matter of weeks later
4: yeah and to be honest I never realised how big the club Aberdeen was even when I played against Mimberness I think I scored a couple of times I think. but I never actually realised the, the support in, in the city and, and how big the club actually was and that was the my 2nd game I instantly recognised to be fair I could tell after the Motherwell game I think we had quite a few fans of that one yeah always had quite great um, away numbers um, but yeah and someone said we're going to have 12,000 fans, I think it was, in, in Tyne Castle. Um, yeah, I was one to look forward to. Apart from the weather, it was, it was some game. Now, oh, remember, we obviously got the early goal. Um, I think Johnny tapped it in the back I Actually, might have won an only assist for the club, I think. Yeah, I assisted Johnny that day, and then obviously we got Pete, I think, got the second goal, and once the atmosphere got gone, it was brilliant. Yeah, that was probably one of the best atmospheres I've actually had at the club was was that game, the second game there. There wasn't many that beat that. Um, it was brilliant day,
3: so yeah, to Kappa, fine start for yourself. Like you say, you provide an early assist for Johnny Hayes. Must have been a great cross because he scores with his right foot, which uh <laughs> <laughs> doesn't, doesn't do all that often, Johnny. Bless him. Um, and then you score the third goal, kind of kills the game, really. It's a fine finish after you're put through by Peter Pollitt on a counter-attack. As you're bearing down on goal with like the length of the uh, St. Johnston half to run, what's kind of going through your mind? And I would just ask you that because like for us. And probably for anyone that was there supporting Auburn that day, it felt like the first time in a very long time where we see a striker one-on-one with a keeper and you just kind of know that this ball is
4: going nowhere apart from the back of the net. Yeah, no, probably going through my head is don't get caught. I think it was Fraser right chasing me. I thought I'd have to be quicker than him. Um, <laughs> yeah, Um No, I just remember getting slipped in and going through. And Yeah, it's just the atmosphere. i had obviously confidence behind me after scoring against Mudderwell last week where we started again getting assist, We were playing well. We were... For and the atmosphere. just I actually never really had any doubt I thought it's for. Um I just remember going through and, and slotting a near side and I think I might have in the knee slide. I don't think we get my knees to get away with that these days. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, no, it was, brilliant, it was a brilliant occasion, obviously. Um the, the atmosphere that day said was incredible. Um I never actually expected anything like that when, when I was coming two weeks previously.
3: Yeah, like I say, it was just a really nice moment because it was the first time in a long time. Like we've had good strikers, but you know, in that kind of situation, a lot of time to think about it. We just everyone knew you were going to score. It was a a moment where we just thought we've now got ourselves the number nine we need. Johnny makes it four 0 What were the celebrations like after the game?
4: Yeah, brilliant. I think we went back and. Um, but- my missus i traveled up my missus just got a job teaching and um, she's working at a, a hospital skills type thing in manchester so she couldn't she had to work her term until april time so she traveled up for the game i think my folks had come over and we'd all planned on going back straight after the game but back down to manchester because i still had to actually get some clothes and stuff because it, it was quite sharpish um but i think we went back to one of the dakota hotels maybe in edinburgh uh, and we all went back there for a couple of drinks and had a couple of beers there. I think we had a game coming up soon, so Derek wasn't going too mad, but he, he wanted everyone there to go and have a few drinks. So I actually, had the family with me, in for a few drinks, get to meet people and all. Yeah, no, it was great. The lads were obviously delighted to make the cup final. You know, um, and it was a massive occasion for the club, so we were all absolutely buzzing. And obviously, it couldn't have been a better start for myself in the first two weeks. Shea, I think that was Shay's first game, actually, probably even better. His debut. Yeah, yeah. What's uh, what's Shay like? Good lad, Shay. Yeah, he's funny. He's funny. He's obviously he's a bit out there already. Right. I was actually talking. I was mentioning him earlier on. I seen he put something on Instagram about. What I think he he beat someone the weekend and plus Trey. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh,
2: they beat Montrose. I was there, and unfortunately he came off after about 40 minutes. But he spent 40 minutes shouting at Ian Vigers to pass him the something ball. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Vigers lived with me for a while in Inverness actually. <laughs> He
4: lived with me for a couple of months, and he went through a, a relationship issue, I think. When he was younger, uh, he stayed with me for a couple of months. <laughs> he's another <a> good lad. <laughs> Quite a few good ones up there. Um, yeah, no, Shay, Shay is cool. You know, Shea is a he, good cracker on the dressing room. Like, he likes to give a bit of anter and take. He takes it well, though, really. I've never seen someone get as much abuse in a dressing room as he did. In that <laughs> but he used to love it, and he used to give it just as good back. So, uh, yeah, no, he's a good cracker. I think you can kind of tell what kind of character Shay is from, from just seeing him on the pitch, basically. <laughs> So,
2: yeah, so we we'll move forward from the, the semi final. are uh, in a really good run of form, uh, bolstered by by your goals. Actually, became the first player since uh, Jock Patillo to score in your first four consecutive league games. Aberdeen Sweet passed Celtic twice in the space of a month, with you scoring in the league fixture at Pataudry. uh Coincidentally, your first goal at Pataudry. And then we move uh, moving into the Scottish Cup semi final as you scored the only goal in a 1-0 win over Dumbarton in a game where it's probably fair to say all the attention was on the, the following week's League Cup final mm-hmm. against Inverness. Can you maybe just talk us through the week that led up to the Cup final? I mean, given your form, since you'd come into the club, you must have been pretty confident that you were going to be starting.
4: Yeah, well, I thought I'd be saying, I, 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 like, I want to say, I was. hope I, my it was done Dumbarton the previous week, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I, uh, I, I want to say I kind of hurt my knee a little bit and I kept it quiet to myself because I thought, Cup final next week, I don't want to be sitting in my physio all week and, and, and not training. So I kind of just trained through. But I think we went down to um, the old course and we kind of done it. I think Derek's idea was to try and get us away from the city, He'd gone on about how big an occasion it was Is that the last thing you want to be doing was walking around the city having people all week saying you need to win this, you need to win this and, and just constantly, constantly thinking about it because obviously the lads were all delighted to be there and looking forward to it so we actually went down to the Old Course Hotel and we stayed there and trained down that way. I think we'd done a bit of a press thing down there as well and um, it got us away a bit. It was, it was a lot more relaxed and um, there's a bit of a games room down there. Lads could play table tennis and pool and there was computer games and stuff down there and you could have, go for a walk around um, St Andrews and it's just to try and get away from the city, just trying to take a bit of pressure off the whole occasion, I think. Um so it was, it was actually quite relaxed, the train it was good and yeah, everyone's just really looking forward to looking forward to the
0: occasion going, going and going try and win the game. Even with being decamped down to St Andrews for the week, was it still kind of hard to try and block out that level of expectation from the support for this one? I mean, you all know at that point like forty plus thousand tickets have been sold for it. We went into the game as kind of heavy favourites. The weight of expectations. It's nineteen years since our last trophy win. It still must, even though you've been taken away from the city, it still must be quite hard to block that out.
4: Well, yeah. When we'd done the press days, you'd have the press kind of. That was their. That was their kind of go-to. That has been so long, and I think we'd messed up on so many occasions before. I think Derek used to say to listen, it being so long before he'd won a cup semi-final. Like, so and his yeah. was, it's a different group of players. What's done, prees, he has nothing to do with you's You've won the semi-final, so there's no reason he can't go and win a cup and and make ourselves heroes for the club Um, and he was very good with it to be honest about trying to take all that pressure away he just used to go on about how it's a completely different group of players than it was previously and, and it's nothing to do with it and, and as I say because we were down there we were away from the city there wasn't a constant chaff from everyone asking about the final what they think and it was just the lads having a bit of crack having a, having a walk around going for coffees uh, training obviously and then being able to relax and enjoy ourselves a bit in terms of playing games of pill or our table tennis and that so I think it was actually a very good thing. I'll come back now. Although I wouldn't say after the performance we put in. <laughs> <laughs> we'll come on to that in a minute. But yeah, no, I think I think it did. Apart from really the press day where we don't... There wasn't really too much chat about it.
0: Game day itself, the bus journey up to Parkhead. What was that like? Just as you're getting closer to the stadium, atmosphere in the coach, like seeing the sheer number of Aberdeen supporters around the stadium.
4: Yeah, it was incredible. Um, obviously, you mentioned about the semi-final and the number of fans about the AD atmosphere created... <laughs> You can't really comprehend how many fans we had at that game. When you hear it, it was our 40 odd thousand heading down to you, you don't really think too much of it. You just think it's a number. And then you get there, and next you actually see the amount of it's just red everywhere. Um, I remember driving in, and I don't think I really remember of the day at the probably two bus journeys on the panel. <laughs> I don't remember much. <laughs> yeah. As well. yeah, but I remember going in. There, all the lads were fairly impressed with obviously the tornado. Um, I think we had a bit of a video on the bus in terms of some of the season's best bits and stuff lads have done well and the run up in the cup I think the lads have passed past well haven't they had the earlier on the, the, that's right yeah the, uh, clips of that and clips of the, the semi-final on the bus so that was playing with some music and you see all the fans everywhere so it was, it was getting us hyped up alright.
0: Did they show Joe's red card just to rub it in for him?
4: I can't remember I remember he got sick <laughs> for alright. I
2: don't think they showed that on the bus though uh, So before the game uh, it's possible it's possible quite an obvious basic question but what was the manager's message to the team you've touched on the fact that he's kind of saying you know slip ups in the past but that wasn't you guys you know different bunch of players I guess he's just basically saying it's down to you guys now it doesn't matter what's happened in the past Um, how does he approach it and get you focused on that 90 minutes and not maybe focused on sort of that weight of expectation that is pretty difficult to escape
4: his basic thing was just to go out and enjoy it, but make sure you don't come in with any regrets in terms of give all you can to win it and make yourself heroes. He, he's mentioned how long it's been, but he's like, you'll be remembered forever at this football club if he's going to win this cup because it's been so long. Um and his main thing was just to make sure you don't come in the door after the game with any kind of regrets. Um and, and that was it. He had a few bits up and around the dressing room of kind of the pictures of lads on your on your dressing room. Uh, you have a little you kind of have your own sections in there, you had your own um, drawers and all, and you have your pictures up of yourself and, and words about yourself and things you've done well. And it's kind of just to try and make everyone feel confident going into the game, I think. So, yeah, the, I think a cup final kind of takes care of itself. And so I don't think it really needs to say too much. It's a cup final. You, you, as a player, these are the occasions you, you play for and you dream
2: of. So, when you get there, <laughs> you don't really need too much motivating. What were your, or maybe you just describe for us your, your sort of thoughts and emotions when, although you've heard about numbers of people and you maybe see it start building up when you're coming to the coach, what was it actually like when you you step out onto the pitch, before the game and then you actually you know you see it squashing at the stadium, and you know it's real. What what does that actually feel like? Yeah, no, you obviously you, you step out onto that side.
4: I mean, you see the number, of, the sheer number of fans we had. The noise is incredible. Yeah, um. <laughs> especially when Inverness had, what, maybe six, 7,000. So we completely yeah. dwarfed them like, in terms of noise and support. And it's incredible because every side sort of said we look to is just Aberdeen fans.
3: Right. I've got the distinct pleasure of describing the game now. So let's uh, let's go through it. Shouldn't take long. 120 minutes of pretty, let's call it a stalemate. Uh, not really much in the way of chance. I think Russell Anderson hit the post now McGuin had, had a good chance. I think it was a good block by the guy. It bubbled up an extra time, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so the game goes to penalties. Now, Derek McInnes, one of the things I really liked about McInnes was that he said that penalties are not a lottery. They're a part of the game and we should go out and believe in our technique and go out and win it. Was that a message that he'd given you guys in advance?
4: Yeah, I think for two days previous, we'd practiced our penalties and... What you do is you'd everyone after training, maybe saying a tourist in you know, a Friday at the end of the training, he'd go one end, Doc would go the other end. You'd have a keeper in each goal, and you take turns being called down to take a penalty. Um, they'd take a penalty on the keeper, and he'd walk back. So it's to kind of enact what what the situation is now. It, some people love it. I'm not great in it because I think once you throw in the fans and the occasion, completely different than doing it in training. I've seen a lot of people take penalties in training. Flick them top corners and everything when it comes to a game, it's completely different. So, but for some people, it, it lets you focus on terms of what you like to do and, and, and what you plan on doing. And to be fair, for that, um, I've obviously gone down the middle of a, most of my penals previously. I used to always go co- co- across myself, I used to always go to the keeper's bottom right. But Ryan Essendon was obviously involved at Inverness. So, one keeper in training used to save every penalty for me Inverness, even when I scored penalties for Inverness, he saved them every week. And if it went the other way, he somehow knew it. So going into the game, I actually had a bit of doubt that if I went to penalties, if he was in goal or would give the keeper a heads up on what he thinks I'd do, I was a bit nervous. So I was a pract- actually practice on the and Friday just going straight down the middle. <laughs> so yeah, no, I would believe it. I do believe that I think penalties are something you practice and it's, it's not a lot. You can, you can keep it, obviously make a great save or go the right way or something happens. But in, term, in general, I think people are practicing usually have a fairly decent record. Was the order
3: of the takers already kind of pretty much set up as well?
4: Yeah, well, I wanted to go first. Um, I always like trying to hit the first or second penalty. It was just as from a young lad and a thing going up any penalty shooters I've been in. I always wanted to kind of go first or second the penalty shootout. It's a, so when I said I wanted to take a penalty, I was told I was going fourth. I was actually devastated. I was thinking, oh, what decision that was? <laughs> 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 the three <laughs> Let's. Uh, we
3: on how it goes. So Langfield, Jamie Langfield saves the first penalty from Billy Mackay. Barry Robson, who starts his run up around about 35 yards away from goal, kind of out of slots it away. Um, Greg Tansey blazes over the bar. Nicky Lowe takes a fantastic penalty for for such a young man, and then Nick Ross scores. Scotty Vernon scores. Aaron Doran tucks his away, and then it's up to Adam Rooney. Did you realise? Like, I mean, did you know walking up that the, if you score this penalty, that's it. It's all over.
4: I was obviously doing the calculations in my head when I got to Aaron Doran and I was thinking right if he misses this we have won um, but if not then I can score, go and score the winner here yeah. so I, I knew going up already right. I don't remember too much about jogging up apart from the show I think people were trying to really, I, I think um, I usually have a little jog up and don't remember too much about it to be honest I just remember the, the noise and the expectation and just basically shit myself thinking, don't miss this <laughs> panel. <laughs> thinking, yeah, don't, just whatever you do, don't miss this panel. Um, And yeah, just focus just before I hit it. Um, pictured what I, I'd planned on doing the last few days and I was just hoping that the keeper would jump one way. <laughs> Didn't care which way he went as long as he got out of the way in the middle. So uh, <laughs> yeah, once, actually, once the ball actually went in the back of the net, if I, I can't really remember too much apart from sprinting off and... Absolutely delighted, obviously, that it's gone in. We've gone and won a cup. It's capped off. It's been an unbelievable a couple of months. Yeah.
0: I mean, the penalty, like you say, it's textbook. High down the middle, just as you planned. Um, keeper dives to your left. Parkhead just goes bananas at that point. 19 years, 120 minutes, and then fucking penalties, as our <laughs> ex chairman put it. But the the long, long, long wait for a trophy is, is finally over. Talk us through just your own personal emotions, your thoughts at the time when You've already said, but when the penalty goes in, and maybe at that moment, it all gets a bit hazy. But the moment where you actually get to lift the trophy and get to parade it on the pitch, yeah, it's just pure,
4: pure joy, isn't it? Everyone's absolutely buzzing. The lads are buzzing. The, the whole place. What we're, we're going to really celebrate now, isn't it? <laughs> That's how we're looking forward to. Um, yeah, as you said, there was. We uh, although we tried to avoid the whole expectation and the ch- talk, but it was obviously it was obviously in the back of lads' minds. You're in the game where. When it got late on, we, I think we looked nervous about maybe going and losing this game and, and what it would mean. So I think once we all got there, it's just a pure relief and excitement of, of what we've actually gone and done it. Um, for me, it's the biggest thing, and still, it's the biggest thing I've won as a player. And um, just the, the, the whole occasion was brilliant. So, yeah, now, as I say, after going from football changes so quickly, after going probably a few months previously to being home, when I wasn't really fully enjoying my football, and nothing to do with all and them as the club, just sort of personally. To obviously where I was there, and it's probably the happiest I've been in terms of unsettled that club in, in many
2: years. So, uh, yeah, no, completely just overjoyed, really. So the, you know, celebrations after the the bus journey home, um, plenty of stories, tales, some of them true, some of them not so true, I'm guessing. Uh, and we were, look, obviously, like I said, we we're lucky enough to chat to Willow Flood, who uh, gives us a little insight into that. We, uh, it's a question we've asked everyone that's been a part of this, but how much money did you manage to take from Barry Robson for the booze run, the tightest man in the world. I don't know. All he was to speak of it was bringing his
4: suitcase full of cash back from America. I've never seen that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think he'd been fined. I can't remember what. I think he got fined for going off or for something in the meeting either that day or previously The Gaffer, and gave him a bit of steak saying, "Well, you were on the you were on the drink on the way back if if um, we we go and win this cup." So yeah, we took him in. I, I want to say as well, three hundred quid's worth. It absolutely killed him. Yeah, it did kill him. He, he was yeah he really didn't enjoy paying that um, <laughs> yeah no, I think we've, we've, we stopped off. I think there's a big crash or something after the game because I remember getting stuck in traffic but we didn't care the longer that Bush journey went on the better for us um yeah brilliant there's been two brilliant Bush journeys in my life that one and after we um, when I was at Inverness and we'd won the league we travelled down the air but i probably get arrested for this but on the way down we'd won the league midweek on Wednesday I think the last game was air away from Inverness and we used to travel on the day so uh we I think we, we got in that morning around seven in the morning to the bus to travel down, I think. we literally those lads putting guitars on it. There was drink <laughs> on everywhere and I don't I think most lads forgot their boots. It was just drink and guitars on it going down. And that, <laughs> back from here to Inverness took about five hours. We were brilliant. And the one after the cup final. Yeah. I always remember Doc, Ta- Tony Doc when we got the we got back to the Mercliffe Hotel and we'd obviously been on the piss on the bus for the last four hours. Doc tried to be tried to be sensible and um, said, lads, listen, he pulled up, he goes, lads, um, Sky, the cameras are here, make sure we kind of look a bit dignified on in here, don't be, will be a disgrace. And as he said, it's a stop bus, the bus stopped and he fell over. <laughs> 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 good, good chat, Doc. <laughs> uh, yeah. no, I was really a push to that. we brought some, some crack on that bus. Did you, uh, did you have a particular song choice for the karaoke? can't remember if I even sang I think Nicky Weaver took over you just think he sang this Scotty Vernon song for the whole trip to be honest (laughs) (laughs) that song for three hours straight. (laughs) I can't even remember if I sang but yeah no brilliant I remember the doc sang The Wanderer Uh, that was a long that was the longest song I've ever heard yeah I just remember Nicky Weaver singing this Scotty Vernon
0: song every five minutes I started yeah, I think we heard that Cami Smith just went through the entire Aberdeen
2: songbook, basically.
4: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I can't done a couple of versions. Yeah.
2: So um, I'm guessing then for you, it's not, it's not a bad start a new club, barely three months at the door. Yeah, you know, League Cup winners' medal in your hand, um, and you know, cement your place amongst the uh, legends of Aberdeen Football Club. I'm guessing that's probably a pretty good feeling, and maybe a lot better than you imagined. There might be three months into a new club.
4: Yeah, I couldn't. Have, I couldn't have actually went anywhere. I could have from that, at that point um, <laughs> to come in and just want to help to get a couple of goals, play well, and, and establish yourself and get myself. And I was coming into a team that was I'd obviously watched because I had an indication you might be interested for the past few months. I remember watching thing against Hibs, I think it was. i was touching Willow scored from real 30 yards. Great goal. I remember watching yeah. games on Sky and actually remember Missus saying to me, watching, I think Scott Vane played up front and he brilliant in the game." <laughs> like, what did he want you for <laughs> I, said, I actually don't know I said I'd love to go to the game if I go there Scotty's Scott, brilliant go forward like brilliant hold man tight, brilliant goal scorer so I was, I was going there basically ready to battle her out with Scotty you know, hopefully the two of go up with Calvin's all the time and, and, and Josh was there so I was thinking I'm going in but it'll give me a chance and just the fact that I knew that he really wanted me gave me that a boost of confidence and i say, say once you get a couple of goals early on and I managed to keep scoring uh, that they kind of established myself as as the, the lead striker. So I couldn't have wanted it to go any better, really.
3: The following week also sees the open top bus parade through the city of Aberdeen. You've said it yourself already. You didn't maybe understand or realize the size of the club prior to joining. And it's something that people say when they've come from out with Aberdeen or maybe from out with Scotland as a whole, 75,000 people in the city for the parade. What are your memories of that of that day? Yeah, it's
4: crazy. Um, I'd been in an open toss before once with Stoke when they got brought up to the Premier League. I obviously wasn't part of the team, but I was I was on the bus because we'd gone up and as part of the squad and I remember doing it. And I just for some reason gone around Stoke. I remember there's a lot of people out there, but I kind of had an indication of what it might be like. But in my head, it was gonna be on a much, much, much smaller scale. And um, when you got on top of the bus and you thought. I wonder how long list of be. How many people show up, and then he turned down the street, and all you could see was people. It was incredible. Like, um, there was nuts. I don't think any of the lads actually expected the turnout that to, showed up. Um, now a brilliant occasion. It just shows course, to show what I meant to the city and where, and how much like the football club actually means to the people in the area. And that's that's what I don't think a lot of people realize outside the club. I don't think like people say in the big club. I don't think until you're actually part of it and and realize what. It, what a well-supported football club it is, and what I mean to so the city.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Your first six months at Aberdeen sees you end up with nine goals and eighteen appearances. So,
4: goal a goal every two games. Satisfied with your work? Yeah, obviously you couldn't have been any better apart from the, the maybe the semi-final against um, Saint John's the rest. The
0: rest have been better. We've talked. We've talked about that enough. We don't need to go over that again. Moving into the next season, it's it's a really impressive one for you. You hit the ground running with goals in the Europa League, two goals at home against um, Daugeva Riga, before a hat-trick in the return leg sees you become the first Aberdeen player since Mark McGee in 1984 to score a hat-trick in Europe, before a gutsy 0-0 draw at Potodri against Groningen sets up a pretty tasty return fixture in the Netherlands. Uh, Willow Flood's nemesis Nick van der Velden Because uh, it's him that signed him Or tried to sign him To that deal in Bali After oh, then oh. fucking it all up <laughs> He announces after the pathology leg That the Dutch side are basically through Now presumably um, Dell only had to pop that quote up On the dressing room wall For a team talk
4: Yeah it's usually a thing Isn't it people say Oh what's well, that up on the uh, Will you put that up on the door And stuff so, We actually did I think <laughs> um, <laughs> But I think everyone here. I think they'd Like eighty or 90 percent true After Donham Never thought they were that great. Obviously, we drew a and then we thought these would be a good side, but never really thought they were that brilliant. And then I think we actually went there with a belief that we, we're going to win this game. Um, the a great stadium, to be fair. It was one of my favourite games that winning that over there because we caught a number of fans. It was a good atmosphere and good stadium. I think just the fact that they, they had been disrespectful in terms of thinking we're just going to walk all over in my home. So, yeah, no, it was nice. Um, I think I got a penalty. Johnny got brought down, I think, wasn't it, for a penalty? And then... Yeah. I've lobbed the keeper, I think it was a back pass, and lob hits the bar and now I got the rebound. So yeah. Yeah, and that was um yeah, and that was one of my favourite games actually for the dons I really enjoyed that game that win over there. I think i probably stored up with a fact that I'm that said that the week before.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean the Euroborg was a good stadium. Um it's the only one I've been to where you have to go under a moat to get into it. <laughs> yeah. Um and also the only stadium I've been at where they house the away support in what is effectively a conservatory or a glass or a um a greenhouse. I've never been as hot in my life as I was during that during that game. I mean, you touched on it there. A great start. Johnny gets brought down in the box. Twenty five minutes. You're up on penos. Your memory's standing, waiting to take that one because that's a critical one. It's it's a potential first away goal in the tie.
4: Yeah, it was a bit of pressure, all right, on that one in terms of trying to get us in the lead, but um. I've always, I've always had belief myself with penalties As I say I practised them a lot I always the day before we get a game we practised I know, I know where I'm putting the ball the day before a game even kicks off where I'm going to take penalties and put them so I practised them um, that one I, I think I'd watched clips of the keeper he'd, he'd gone to his left I think a lot and I just decided I'm going to go reverse it this time um, and thankfully it's gone in a fit of well it's gone in bottom corner and I'm uh, just obviously delighted to get off the mark there in terms of getting us in, uh, getting us in late, and then obviously we followed up with a quick goal not too long after.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's a fine lob off the bar. Now I'm again lobs it in. The away support goes absolutely crazy again. We eventually see out a famous two-one victory on Dutch soil. Um, that sets up a tie with Real Saucy, dad of all teams. You'd think after beating one of the seeded teams last time, you might get a slightly more favourable run at it, but not this time. And we kind of fall a little bit short on this one, eventually losing out 5-3 on aggregate after having the Spaniards on the ropes for a, for a large period of time at home. Just for yourself personally, obviously you had the experience with, with Birmingham City as well in Europe, but did you enjoy the challenge of playing European football, getting to play against different types of players, different styles, et cetera?
4: Yeah, I remember a real such other way. Was, I think I was asked to mark the centre-back. It was the fourth <laughs> out mark, man mark the centre-half. <laughs> I, I remember looking at me thinking... Why? I thought he was their best player. I think he's worth a 30 million. I can't remember his name. Barcelona. I think it was something Martinez. Um, yep. Barcelona or somebody had been after him. I think Griezmann had gone the week before, so that's right. Yeah, he was playing him, and I just, I just remember being told right when they have the ball, it stopped their left side of centre half having the ball. So <laughs> effective played as a man back on the pitch against their centre back. Not sure I touched the ball too much in that game, but yeah, they were a, they were a different level them compared to um. Groningen, Groningen good side, they had some technically very good players, Groningen in the left footer, we used to shoot from everywhere, it's an unbelievable strike at the ball, but now, nah, Sasha dads, that movement off the ball, the players they had, they were they were a different level, they were too But the fact that we actually took it that close in terms of at home and we had them under the ropes a little bit, it was, actually says a lot about the scope, that current scope, that squad we had there because they, that they were way above our level. I know
3: there's such a thing as professional respect and all that, but can I just go one step back or maybe two steps back?
4: How shite were Doug Variga? Best of Ariga? Best centre house I've ever seen. The movement that day, he couldn't cope. It. <laughs> <laughs> we used to watch. Uh, we used to watch clips. Obviously, do your analysts and managers. Obviously, build up teams. And if they don't think they're great, they'll build them up to make it look better, so you respect them more. If they're, they're really good, they might play them down a bit and show some weaknesses, so you think you've a chance. But. It was my first European qualifying game for Aberdeen and I think a lot of the lads had never experienced Europe football so they're like not sure what to expect and it's hard when you get clips of teams from different leagues because you don't know what the standard of the league is like we had seen clips of Riga before the first game at home and some of them looked unbelievable some of the goals they'd scored, some of the made <laughs> we were thinking, we're like this is first round, we've two weeks training on about to help. Like these are going to be a tough side like and then score was a 4-0 nil at home or something, maybe.
3: Uh, 5
0: 0 no, I think. Was five it? it was five. And, five and missed the penalty early doors, I think.
4: Early, early into the game, I just wonder. I sent, sent that back to shape, kicking the ball off the park, and I'm thinking, <laughs> yeah,
0: I, I remember that. Sendels
4: used to do that quite a lot for us, but like, <laughs> <laughs> just, just be on the, ball off the pitch, and I think this can't be for real. Like we thought these were gonna be really, really tough side from the videos we watched fair, you still have to do the job. You still have to go out and, and, and play. But yeah, they, they weren't, they weren't the, the best. But I think, to be fair, I think we actually we played quite well in the two games as well, didn't help them. I just ask, because I remember
3: Graham had got a new flat quite close to Audrey, so we went around there for a drink before the game. And we were kind of all talking because it was the first time Aberdeen played in Europe since under Mark McGee. We'd played a team from the Czech Republic called Sigma Olomich, and they beat us 8-1 on aggregate. <laughs> So like you say, you don't really know what quite to expect, but you're kind of going into thinking Eastern European team going to be quite physically strong, very fit, very organized, technically good on the ball, kind of nervous, not going to lie, quite nervous. And then I think they kicked off on their number 10, kicked the ball out of play as if he
4: was playing rugby and playing for touch. And you start thinking, maybe this will be okay, actually. For so the first five, ten minutes. And there was actually a lad often to play at centre back. He didn't start. I'm not sure if he played in the home game or the away game. Um, I can't actually remember. But he'd been at Oldham with me. And I think I think he was laughing, maybe. And he'd, not, he'd barely kicked the ball at Oldham. And I remember seeing him in their squad and thinking, right, they can't be that great. But then again, the answer, the answer we've done it and we look for a fairly decent side. So, yeah, well, I think after the first five, 10 minutes, we kind of had an idea that he may not have been as good as we'd, we'd seen on the, as yeah. so I say, I think to was three minutes spare where he just kept kicking the ball off the pitch up the, up the channels. It's almost like, as I say, to, to gain a bit of yardage. Overall, with the season on a personal
3: level for yourself, it's a fine first full season. It's 28 goals in all competitions, including a second hat trick of the season against Livingston and a fine 30 yard half volley at McDermott Park. Uh, as Aberdeen finished comfortably in second spot in the league but the cups are kind of a sore one Um, semi-final defeat to Dundee United in the league cup and an early exit to Dundee and the Scottish Cup probably being the low points of the season you know I was I'm sure you guys wanting to build on the success of the league cup the year before and challenge for more trophies Um, specifically talking about the Dundee United semi-final what can you remember about that game and what do you think went wrong?
4: I can't remember too much about the game I'm trying to erase the defeats out of your mind. Um I remember I think Shifty scored the winner, was it? Did it go through Scott Brown's hands or he missed it? Or I can't remember. I just remember the second goal being a bit of a soft goal. I can't remember if it's yeah. too far away from Scott Brown and Shifty knocked it in, but yeah, I remember the disappointment that obviously the previous year would come in, won a League Cup and seeing how good an occasion it is. Every year we were desperate to try and go and get to another cup final to give ourselves a chance, but I can't remember too much about the game. I remember them being a good, good side, right? Like, I think the Gary McCoy-Stevens, Stuart Armstrong did some players. i Gold was was he? I think Gold was part of that school, was he? He was, I think yeah. he Would have been, yeah. Yeah, yeah. if he was a very good front of him, so they were a good side. So we knew it was they'd been good that season. We knew it was going to be a difficult game, but I think we had to believe that we could go and win it. But obviously, it just never happened. You had the goal disallowed, didn't you? Oh, this did, one, was one of the more bizarre. Oh, yeah. You brought that back because I was told after that um, he probably got that wrong. Apparently um, I think the ref had re- spoke to Derek a couple of weeks later and said yeah, May, we got that wrong. Yeah, I had a header disallowed. It was, um, yeah. ball come in I'd stopped, i put my arm out to hold him off and i barely the header and it was disallowed for a push, which was never a push. Um, never been disallowed actually completely forgot that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I think afterwards I think we were told that um, the ref had said to Derek, yeah I May got that wrong, sorry, but I mean, sorry. To helpful, it. is it two weeks after yeah. the event? <laughs> a bit like the one previously, the previous year when the Motherwell golf that cost us second place. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and saying, I have to thank him for that one because I got us against Riga
2: and I got a hat trick in Europe. <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs>
2: so, well, uh, into the, the next season, you're being used a little more selectively in the early uh, European ties. Starting as a sub in all four of the ties against Rijeka and Kairat Almaty. Was there any particular reason for this uh, that the manager gave you? Um, sorry, you have to refresh me now.
4: Who's the forward? Was it Goody came in that year? Good,
3: goodwillie came in that season. Yeah, well, Goodwillie had been in
4: the year before. Yeah. Yeah. Had Jaden come in at that stage? Not yet. No, that'll be next Everybody season. To battle off quite a few strikers in the meantime. <laughs> <laughs> was um yeah, uh, I'm trying to think. If I was injured that preseason. I definitely got injured in one of the preseasons. I'd I'd done something, just a slight injury. I'd missed out, and that was one of the reasons I hadn't retired. Although I think that was the fall last year. That was the next year again, wasn't it? Yeah. Um. No, I think I think just the fair. I think the likes of Rieke game away. Um. Brilliant occasion for the club, and the fair Goody was hold the play. was brilliant. He's very good. Link up and Um. Dad obviously brought him in and obviously want to try and get us through in Europe. I think he probably felt the best approach in that game was to, to go goody because he wanted to try and get hold of the ball more so. Um maybe didn't think we'd have as many chances. Uh, can't be really complaining with a great result didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> but, I know. Uh, disappointing for myself obviously, but yeah looking back at it now he probably made the right call in that game. But uh, yeah, no, I'd imagine I think at the time it was got to do with probably going away there. Probably imagine they'd kind of dominate the game and, and have a lot of the ball. And probably when we got hold of it, needed someone who, who would like to drop in and get hold of the ball for us, and always mark on be independent. He's look looking for chances, and he probably didn't expect us to have too many. To be honest,
2: don't think we would have expected that game to have gone as well as we could. So the, that that season as a whole um, feels like a real missed opportunity for Aberdeen. It's a fantastic start to the season where we were sitting top of the table, winning the first eight league games. As loan signing Danny Ward was, well, basically. He's Pretty unstoppable. He was absolutely excellent um, in goals. You maybe just tell us a little bit about Danny and just sort of try and sum up the the impact that he actually made in his short period with Aberdeen.
4: is brilliant, yeah. Um such a good lad. Came in very confident in himself. Um I think well, more so I think what he brought to the whole back line in terms of I think they felt safe behind themselves. So I think if anyone actually did get in, have to get a chance. I think everyone kind of had the believe that Danny would save it. Name um, he's a very good keeper in training, he's a big lad, very good shot stopper, and organised really well. So he was massive for us that season. It did kill us a little bit when they when they took when they took him away in the January, considering he didn't go even I don't think he went back and got a game for them. Um the chat at the time was he was going to go back and get involved or but it didn't even happen. So yeah, we could have really done with him because he had brought so much um to, to the team as a whole. I think the defence in general felt very solid and safe with him behind them.
3: You know, I was just going to say that, so the overall level of the players that were already there has kind of been raised uh, by the management team and by yourselves as well. Um, in addition to that, we've brought Kenny McLean in at this point. Graeme Shinnie's arrived. It's a very strong Aberdeen team, and there's a, a feeling amongst the support that we can actually go on and challenge, perhaps even for the title um, the wheels come off a little bit during September, but then we stabilize and we remain right in the fight until February. Of course, Danny Ward is recalled to Liverpool kind of out of the blue. Jurgen Klopp comes in and, and, uh, wants to see him up close and personal, I guess. And then yourself, um, injury strikes in February and you're ruled out for effectively two and a half months. Um, how frustrating was that for you to not be involved in that at that point when we're potentially looking at, you know, challenging Celtic for the title?
4: Yeah, I, I, I asked a lot in terms of um, it was a missed opportunity for us that year. But I think you look, we've had a keeper taken away. He was being so solid for us all the year. Um, basically, our main striker, he was I think at nineteen goals at that stage. Every um gets injured, which I've not had since I've really been there in serious anyway. And uh, massive two parts of the team you take that away from any side, um, especially when <laughs> really you're going up against that Celtic team. Even though people say it wasn't the best of teams, it's still a squad full of good players. It's still like a very good team. Most of our players again, the other team in the league. So, and um, you're up against you, you. Really need to be on the top of your game. You need to keep everyone fit and fire and that. And and then have a chance that you can turn them over. But I think you take away a keeper, all of a sudden your yeah, defense becomes a little more uneasy. And um, you take away your main source of goals at the time. Yeah, it's it's hard to replace that. I know we brought Churchy in. Churchy don't know well when he came in, but. Um, it's it still takes away that kind of forward dynamic you have to your team. So I think we are very unfortunate with injuries in terms of, well, injuries to me myself and obviously Wally going back. Um, we couldn't do it, but I think yeah, during that season, I think there was a real belief within the squad. And now, you know, Derek would probably say in the papers a lot that now listen we just want to improve on last year's points tally. We want to keep improving year on year. That's what we aim to do and build as a squad and do that, but. Within the dressing room, there was the chat that listen. We want to run these down to the wire. You know, we want it. We want to go and try and do this. Um, we're more than capable of doing it, but we just have to show a level of consistency. But again, I think a lot of football is with time and luck. And I don't think the time of my injury was too great when we were coming into a big run in, and and then I've gone and done my quad.
0: Yeah, I was just gonna say it's pretty much the only real lengthy period of time you're out at, at pathology is is that particular spell, and it's just what we touched on earlier. timing's everything in football, isn't it? The turning point's that away fixture at Motherwell just before the split. Um, we slipped a defeat after a last-minute Tom Rogic, worldy at Kilmarnock in the early kick-off, sees Celtic open some daylight for basically the first time in the season. Um, I don't think you played that game at Motherwell, um, but you would have been in and around, obviously, the dressing room. Can you remember what the mood was like just after that one? That's the one as well where Robbo gets sent off after about two minutes after coming on the pitch. Well, oh, 10 seconds on the pitch, he got sent off.
4: Um, <laughs> no, I actually didn't travel. I don't think I was meant to travel. I think it was in rehab, but... Um... Yeah, I actually remember the goal for Celtic though. Um, somehow we stick my mind, we think we're pushing for it, and then they got that ninety-fourth minute maybe winner. Yeah. 35 yards in the top corner, you think, oh, here it goes, right? We need to get a result here today. And then obviously the disappointment. I think after that, I think it deflates everyone. And um, it shouldn't really, you should keep going. But I think once that goes in, you start field, to feel the tides center a now a little bit and they could run away with it. Um to kill our blow that, one, that that weekend. Just, yeah, just deflation, really, Looks a lot. so disappointed. Um, Rob was obviously come on to try and, and tell, like, listen, try and stabilise the ship a little bit, if you want, and be an experienced head, and then he got nail elbow then 10 seconds later. He straight back on. You Which, know, people laughed about it after. Uh, probably a few months later, I think the, the gap I used to give him a bit of stick over that. At the time, he didn't laugh, but it's one of them. you look back at it and what was he doing? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's just disappointment really no? Because we had gone so close But it was frustrating for myself like, I'm not sure if I'd come back at that stage and on my injury I was desperate to get back, I'd been doing well I think I was close to the Irish squads at that stage I'd been in now the Irish team I think I'd been on the bench for them in one game And every forward in Ireland I swear I was injured for um, The friendlies in the match And I was desperate to get back for them So I managed to get myself really pushed so hard to get back And I probably came back too early And then on my quad in the home game against Motherwell I was only meant to play 10, 15 minutes. George, he ankle just before half time. So I came on pre half time, got a goal, and then I literally just made to go make a run and just got the goal again. And that really be for the rest of the season, basically. But I was desperate to try and get back to try and get back for the run in for, it, for us and try and get involved and get some caps for him and, and try and just try and get involved in that as well. So, yeah, frustration personally that my season had basically done like that, that the lads. It looked like they're gonna fall short, and and then obviously the other side, I think, cause of the expectation being lifted um, around the city in terms of what we could achieve, and I think people really thought we could have a go and go and win the league that year. I think the deflation, and then I think lads probably got it in the neck a bit off, off and saying we kind of bottled it, which I don't think is the case. You can say bottled it, <laughs> there's a reason Celtic and Rangers have dominated for so long up there. <laughs> it's it's not easy to topple them. Um, I think we had a good run that year, but. Let's say we had to keep wardy, kept himself fit. We we may have gone a bit closer, but who knows?
3: Yeah, I agree. Danny Ward's the killer, and also also yourself. And I don't know what Celtic did in terms of transfer business in that January, but I'm sure they did something because they have the budget to do so. So it's always going to be difficult to make that uh, sustain that challenge when you don't have all the luck as well. For yourself personally, even despite that lengthy spell on the sidelines, you score 20 goals in 35 games. So it's another another good season for yourself. Into the next season, uh, 2016, 2017, we make our way past Fola and Vince Bulls to set up a tie with Matabor. I'm sorry, we can't, we can't not talk about this one, Adam. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um. To this day, can you understand why the referee did not play advantage when the keeper brutally assaults you, let's just call it that, uh, and Niall McGinn slots it in? I mean, what was going through your head at that moment?
4: Uh, I was shocked that he didn't just allow the goal because it happened within about a second or two seconds of the foul being committed it wasn't like he let it play on and, and pull it back Um, I can't understand but I honestly I've never played in a game before where I thought the match officials are, are dodgy and I believe they were in that game it was incredible what was going on Um, yeah the penalty obviously getting dragged down and seeing Niall tap it in it was obviously buzzing with that Um, and then well, even when we had the penalty, it's such a good record that I just believed that would score um, as I say even against Gronnigan I always had where I was putting it I'd watched a lot of their keeper in the previous few days I always the, the, um, the analysis Bunsen uh, used to always give me the the videos and the keeper he was big big lad I think he was six foot seven. he was huge yeah. it, it, for a penalty he used to go left or go right and that was it he'd go either way and he'd go early and he'd go low where I used to like to hit penalty, so I thought Best bet is to go slow down the middle, he'd be out of the way. And I've just not caught it high not got a height on it and just kind of kept it too low and it's come off his shins. It looks like a shocker. So but in terms of the rest of that game, we still can't believe how the official. I think I remember Ash Taylor, I think, came up for a header the second half yeah. for a long free kick. And there was three lads hanging out him and he gave a free out. Uh Jane came on, got sent off. Obviously, you think he he sent him up with two elbows, was it? Um yeah. Yeah. I, think, I don't think he even touched the man. of one of him, So, yeah, no, I actually do believe that the um, the refs were dodgy in that game.
3: <laughs> the thinking would be that if he's going to pull back for the penalty, he's going to at least send off the keeper. And, yeah, nothing. So I think we all felt the same way uh, here in Aberdeen, watching it on TV. Aberdeen was great
4: that night, like, I thought. Um, I think the OG summed up the whole evening for us, didn't it, really?
3: <laughs> yeah,
0: Big, one of Big Joe's first games, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Graham, you and I were there, remember? And it was like the second half was unbelievable. Every time the ball went up towards the centre half, it was a free kick. Every time it was it was unreal. Yeah,
4: it was incredible. You actually couldn't go near the players. You couldn't actually
2: bump, touch them, anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think you know that. That aside, Aberdeen did give a really good account of themselves, but you know, it just wasn't to be, and it didn't feel like it was entirely within our control either. So, uh, moving on from that, um, a certain James Madison arrives on loan at the club. You maybe let us know what your first impressions were for, uh, when he turns up for training.
4: I remember we signed a, a young lad. We'd heard he'd moved for big money previously. Um, I think Coventry, wasn't it? I think six, seven years. So, we got this lad on loan. I just remember coming in and a skinny little lad, and I wasn't sure what to make him, didn't so expect him to play. But we'd done a little possession box in the first. Part of the training I was like 88 8 or something like that And I think he made About three people And I not make them <laughs> Okay, this, He got a little bit about him, And then we went off actually, We went off And then we split Into groups off And Derek would take The defence work And stuff with them And Doc would take The forwards and attackers And they were crossing, And finish it or something And we done like A 3v2 session Where two defenders Played out And you get at them And he was putting things In the top corner And you're thinking Not every time now But the way he moves With the ball And he looks so comfortable On it And you thought yeah, this kid's got a little bit about him, like he's got he's got something. Um, never to the level he's gone on to achieve now with that first day, but when you'd spend a few weeks training with him and seeing him in games and what he could be capable of. Yeah, he was he's an incredible talent the way he moves with the ball, how he controls it. He Used to love that one where he crossed the ball out of the sky. Like I think the only person that's seen that before him was Zidane. You know, he incredible some of the stuff he done. With the Kamarnik away game, he not make three sure players <laughs> listen. Yeah. Yeah, well, like in the space of 10 seconds or something. so in saying that for as good as Madison was that year and how, how good he was, I'd say Ryan Christie was the better signing for us um, Madison I think probably detrimental effect on the team in terms of everyone just gave him the ball because he was so good but he didn't necessarily have the assists or the goals to, to carry us through games where he'd have so much of the ball and the play, he'd get fouled so much, we'd get free kicks but in terms of his his final product I think his, his final pass at times would let him down at that age and you could see obviously he was going to go on to be such such a good player but I think he was still in up. time I think whereas Ryan Christie came in and he came in with goals and assists and energy and different obviously to Madison as a player but in terms of you, you had Madison and Christie in that season alone and Christie's by far his, his stats are probably way better although you look at yeah. what a talent like Man is probably the best player I've ever played with in terms of ability and stuff, but for us as a team, I actually think Ryan Christie still the team better. Um, I don't think we we went through him as much, but he contributed so much.
0: We'll touch on Ryan Christie again in, in a few minutes, Um, but through the season you get the vital opener to settle the nerves in the League Cup semi-final uh, against Morton. That's your first ever goal at Hamden Park. How did you find playing at Hamden, just generally?
4: Yeah, it was, it was good. Um, I don't think the pitch was the best. <laughs> the pitch was a bit. Yeah. Um, I don't know. The pitch was a bit all over the place, considering. But yeah, no, it was a great occasion. Listen, you want, to as I say, you want to play. The, you want to play good finals. You want to play semi finals. You want to play at the big stadiums. And and there the games you remember. And yeah, I always remember the header. I'm sure it was offside. Var would have ruled that one out. <laughs> 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 and, and, <laughs> and, and putting it back across goals So obviously delighted to get that because it's been a bit of a tight game. I think we were well on top first yeah. half in it, but we just couldn't get the breakthrough. Um, and then thankfully once we did, then um, I think we, we always felt confident we were, we were going to go on to win it. So yeah, no, brilliant occasion. Obviously a massive number of fans there again, like always. So yeah, brilliant.
0: Waiting in the wings though is um, Brendan Rodgers, Celtic. And there's a a, a buoyant Aberdeen support again and expectant mood, hoping to be the first team to beat Celtic that season. But it ends in a bit of a disappointing 3-0 defeat. Don's not kind of really at the races for for much of the game. Um I don't know if you can remember much about this one again, because you maybe try to block out the bad stuff, but any ideas on what kind of maybe went wrong that day?
4: I remember after about an hour thinking get me off this pitch for not getting near the ball. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah. Uh there's different ways of playing, Celtic. I know people say it's a cup final, you have to go and have a go and this, but that them um, that side was so, so much better than previous years. They were unstoppable Them They were really, really good. I think like I think we took Ryan Christian loan who couldn't get in that squad and he was probably your best player which sums up the difference in squads and the, the, the vast difference that's there in terms of their budget, in terms of the number of players they can have. If they lose a couple of players, it makes no difference. If we lost a player or two, you, you could tell. Um, They were just too, they were way too good for us that day to be honest. I think the whole game plan was to try and keep it a little bit tight early on. Just don't go gung-ho chasing them and trying to get after them in case you could actually just get popped off the pitch they have good patterns Celtic um, he walks you know, we can tell even now Ren Rodgers teams they have a same way of playing and it's very hard to close it down unless you're all in as a team and I think at times in that first half we probably tried to press at times and the defence were probably so scared of the pace in behind that they didn't quite come and then the pockets open up and they picked us off um, the problem for Celtic was if if we tried to keep it tight and and sit in a little bit they have four or five players who could score from 30 yards <laughs> And one of them goes in, that it kills your whole game plan. And then Rogge got the goal early on, 16 minutes or something. And all of a sudden, your whole game plan of trying to keep it tight, keep it a bit nervy, let the fans turn. We knew where the longer it went like that, our fans would get more and more boisterous. We knew they'd get on their back. And once Rogge sticks one in, 25 yards, or whatever it was, it kind of just it kills your whole game plan. After that, then I think they got the other one just before half time. and you're up against it and they, they, they they're tails up they were absolutely flying the, the players everyone wanting the ball they were taking shots off from everywhere and we, we couldn't really get we couldn't get in on tag I don't think Um, very difficult because you, you can sense the whole crowd you know yourselves the disappointment you're there you expect to try and go and win and you build up in your head that you're going to go and lift the cup and number of fans we had so you're, you're trying not to let anyone down but yeah the disappointment is obviously there and, and then you run around the pitch when you're 3 down thinking can't get a touch of the ball. They're taking they literally taking the piss out of us. Scott Brown's winding everyone up. He's he's having a laugh at you and, and you're just thinking, oh, get this game over it. We're never getting back into it. And it's sad when you're in a cup final thinking, I'll oh, just get get this game done because we knew we were nowhere near it that day. Um they were they were just too good to us to be honest. You can say we didn't show up, but I think it was more I got to do with them. It's maybe worth just mentioning now you've that you've mentioned his name. What
3: was Scott Brown like to play against?
4: as you can imagine very annoying <laughs> I can't imagine the, that I haven't had the uh, experience of having him in my team obviously he's gone down with the and know very well Um, he's a top player isn't he he's, a, yeah. he's one of them players I think everyone would love to have in your team when you played against him he so constantly he ran games he, he settled games when they were under the cosh a little bit he when they wear one or two up, he knew how to wind players up. I've never seen so many lads close the head with a footballer because he knows exactly how to just get under people's skin on the pitch and, and make them lose focus on their game. Um, no, he's a brilliant player. He's, he's had the career he's had because he is so good. And by all accounts, off the pitch, he's, he's a top man. He's um, if you're a fair part of his team. He's meant to be unbelievable. I always remember Johnny saying that when Johnny went to Sonsfield. He said, listen. What a guy he is, like great guy, you know, but to play against him, yeah. Oh, I used to hate playing against him. He'd be laying almost he'd be pinching it, he'd be off the ball, he'd be diving around the ground, he'd be talking about near him, and you know, he's he he does, he's unbelievable isn't
2: he? He's very much the you want him in your team rather than playing against him type of player. There's not that yeah. many players, I think, that have that um that about him. So yeah, I think we're happier to have him in red this season yeah. Than, uh, they've been playing against them. <laughs> so we'll, we'll fast-forward to another Cup semi-final at Hampden, uh, this time against Scottish Cup holders, Hibs, as they were at the time, and you're on the score sheet after just 11 seconds, with Aberdeen eventually coming through uh, three goals to two and making a return to the Scottish Cup final for the first time in 17 years. Unfortunately, it's Celtic that, uh, that await is in the final, um, so looking looking forward to comp- or they're looking forward to uh, complete an unbeaten treble, despite sort of everything that's probably stacked against Aberdeen. Was there a confidence in the squad that it's another final, it's a one-off game, and that there is a chance that it can be done?
4: Yeah, exactly. You're for a bit of redemption, a bit of revenge after the, the previous one because we we'd obviously I you know fans and people say oh like that one really hurt the train there. We never laid a glove on them and didn't even give it a go. It doesn't hurt anyone more than hurts the players, you know. We, these are the, the moments in your career you, you play for and you work hard for and you, you want to achieve and get the cup finals and stuff. So when it goes the way it did in the fourth final, you're out for revenge. You want to make sure that doesn't happen again. You don't have that same feeling, so it gives you that little extra bit of um, whatever you want to say, drive to go and win it. Yeah. Um, that's the one thing. Derek used to always come back to after a semi final defeat, a cup final defeat, so to remember the feeling and how you felt after the game and the disappointment, the hurt. And use that in any future experience you have in terms of a final to try and make sure you don't experience it again. So, yeah, those was definitely a bit out of steel there that we wanted to go. And as I said, it's a cup final, it's a one off game, as good as they were. We knew we were on our day if we all perform good enough to, to beat anyone. Just wanted to ask you about this. So, the build up to the, the game through the week, it's kind of
3: marred in a way by the chat surrounding Ryan Jack potentially leaving for, for Rangers. And he think he's the captain's he's taken off of him. It's given to Graham Shinny, at least for the day or going forward. Is this something that serves as a distraction to yourselves in the dressing room or are you as professionals, just like, do you just kind of shrug that off and accept that's part of the game?
4: Yeah, not really. I think it's like anything. I think people think that because something's going on within the club, everyone's chatting about it all the time, and it's really dragging the mill down. No, it wasn't at all. Jack was say it all I may, as far as we were concerned, Anytime any time he played for us, he was one of them that gave us all in training. He used to hate losing a training match. He killed him to lose a training game. So you knew or hurt him. You knew he wanted to win. As long as you knew he's on the pitch given and you give him all want to win and he's part of your team. He, he didn't care. Jacko's our mate. Like um, regardless of what people were saying, the outskirts, it didn't affect the dressing room in terms of what we thought we were going to get out of Jacko and in, in the cup final. So um no, I don't think it I don't think that caused cause any end at all. If Henler probably just took away from the fact that people didn't talk about the previous cup final as much and the defeat. The build
3: up all day for David Sports Events. Um, we were in the shed, the nightclub that the Glasgow supporters club um hired out. So uh, it was a lot of singing, a lot of dancing, and a whole lot of drinking, to say the very least. Um distinctly we just remember the the mood taking a bit of a downer when the, the news broke about the team and you weren't in the starting lineup, um Derek McInnes deciding to go with Jaden Stockley instead. Presumably that would have been a real, real disappointment to you when you found out you
4: weren't gonna be starting. Yeah, I was looking to join you in the shed. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, obviously, um, I don't think the team had been picked all that morning. So, in the hotel beforehand, so we'd looked at a couple of different shapes previously. I kind of had a bit of a feeling because you go through on a tourist in a Friday, you'd go through teams. Sometimes you pick the team the day before. We'd had a look at that, a couple of different shapes and formations, and I just had a feeling that I wasn't going to be starting this one. And obviously, having scored the early goal in the semi final and, and the cup run, feeling good, and obviously. Going in, I felt like we needed to try and get a goal to, to go and win this and I thought to be no better person than Nick was a goal than me so I wanted to obviously start but I had a kind of slight feeling the night before that I may not be starting so when the news Broke was obviously good, it's cup final as I say, they're the occasions you look forward to um, so I don't want to hurt a lot,
0: yeah And it's a sickener again for for the Dons despite a, a fine early goal from, from Johnny Celtic equalised pretty quickly and then Tom Rogic uh, breaks the hearts of the Aberdeen support once again with a last-minute winner in the, in the pouring rain. Um, what was what was just the, the the feeling like in the dressing room after that one? having gone so close, run them so close. It was probably our best performance against Celtic that season, I thought, as well. Um, yeah, it was.
4: I mean, I didn't start, but Jaden done very well in the game. So um, I, I can't complain too much looking back at him now. Listen, Derek picked Jaden over me, but he actually done very well in that game. He roughed him up a bit and he, he's strong in the air. He got hold of the ball for us and obviously we had a right call. Um People always think at the back of the, the chance between Johnny and Kenny if it you know, was that one-all and then uh, I actually always remember looking from behind as which buried down a goal in the last minute. I swear as he hit the ball, lightning struck in the distance. I was like, I look like something from a film. Um, I think with last minute pressure, then we missed the ball, I think, across the boxing. Gordon got his hands on the was about an inch away from Nick Wren, taking us the extra time. So yeah, no, the disappointment was there again. Obviously, lads can, you can accept it more so. Well, not accept it. You can, it's more bearable when you've put in a performance and and you've actually had the right go um, the disappointment's probably worse because <laughs> you've had a right go and you think we could we could have easily gone and won that game whereas the the previous cup final was more just dejection and people feeling sorry for themselves because it'd gone so bad and it'd gone against us but yeah of yeah, course just as much as you lose a cup final it's 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 at the end of the day you're not walking up to get that that trophy and that's all that matters look at the one we won uh, we don't care about the game it's, it's the fact you get your hands in the trophy so yeah it's a disappointment, obviously, but um, that Celtic team where they
0: there was a reason they were so good. Jaden certainly roughed them up. Um, Keen Tierney's front two teeth will pay a testament to that one. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of the game itself, um, obviously Ryan Christie had been such an integral part of the team. You kind of touched on it earlier on from January when he came in on loan and scored the second goal in the semi-final, set you up, I think, actually, for the first in the semi-final, was really key to a lot of what we're doing from a creative perspective. How much of a miss do you think Ryan was actually in the in the final? Because obviously he couldn't play because he was with Celtic at the time.
4: Yeah, massive. Um, I'll say I think it was I say his goals and assist record for when he came in it was something like I think he had a goal and assist every sixty minutes he played or something. It was inc- like his stats were outrageous from when he came in alone. Um so he was he was massively integral to the team. So to have him missing the <laughs> final is a uh, is a bit of a killer blow for you that's what we say though the difference in squads people say oh he's never a dead club in the him we've taken a player who they just send out alone to get experience and he's possibly our best player for the second half of the season and, and then we're missing him for the cup final so you take that out that was very difficult there yeah. Um, yeah. I'd say for him as well because he'd come in done so well and get a chance to a cup final he doesn't even get to play in it so he misses out on that whole experience but yeah no you take you take one of your best players out of anyone's team they're going to
0: notice it and, and this sees the kind of start of the breakup, I guess, of the first there at McKenna's side. Um, Johnny moves to Celtic, and uh, now McGinn moves to Korea briefly. In um, particular they're kind of the big losses in the attacking third, especially because that forms such a potent threat with yourself as well. How big a miss do you think that was for you the following season?
4: Huge. I think it changed the whole dynamic of the team, to be honest. Ever since I came in, it kind of been. Give or take a few games where um, someone might have started up ahead of me and I might have been out of team for a couple of games. it always kind of been me and Niall and Johnny. Um, and I can say it was nothing as similar to me, Richie and Johnny and Vanessa It's just something we never have to work on. It's just we naturally got on away from the club we, on the pitch. I knew Johnny, one side, I'd get in the box, he'd run by somebody to whip it in. I knew and then once Niall got it, I knew there was definitely a cross coming in or he's coming in to have a shot and there's probably going to be a rebound. It's, it's just we had a, an understanding. Um, I think they enjoyed having me in the box because they knew. You put a ball in a decent area, and more than likely, I'd have a chance of getting on the end of it. Um, so, when you take our, our main kind of attacking threat away in terms of that, they kind of really nullify us what well, I'm capable of doing because I'm not going to get the ball and be two or three players on me. <laughs> um so, uh, yeah, they took away a lot of the service for me. And I think then the following year, although I think Derek tried to replace the players with good players, and Gary McCoy Stephen came in and stuff, they were a different type of player. We um, think we came a different type of team. We think we came more of a team. We looked to build through the lines and get inside. Whereas before, I think we were get away, wide, get at them, get at them, and get players in the box and get after teams. Where I think we came trying to build up more and um, it, it different demands in terms of the players and different type of service from myself. So I think it did it massively
2: affected my game in terms of what I was looking to do every week. Is at this point, it does begin to look like you may be falling out of favour with the manager. I think injury keeps you out the first seven games of the season and you're sort of in and out of the starting lineup for much of the season, including seeing you being played out on the wing on a number of occasions, as you mentioned earlier. Do you think the manager was maybe just struggling to, to shoehorn the likes of, you know, he's got yourself, Stephen May, the guy Stephen, Ryan Christie and Greg Stewart into some sort of system that um, that could work? Yeah, probably it, probably was a struggle
4: for him to be honest because he lost his two main wingers, um, his two main outlets, I think they were probably the first names in the team sheet most weeks, I so should have Johnny and in in your team, so it's hard to try and replace them, and when you bring players in then you kind of have to give them an opportunity to, to play, Um I'd always kind of batted away any competition that I've had since I've been there, he obviously brought in a lot of players who delighted, Goody who didn't work before, they were very keen on, Um but I managed to maintain my place. They brought Jaden in. he done well. And obviously he was still there. Um, and Stevie May come in who they had been keen to get for a number of years. So I knew he was going to get down in time. So I understand it as well that players come in. They need to be given an opportunity. Nicky Maynard came up, got chances. But I always believed that once I was in the team, I'd, I'd, I'd score goals and I'd deliver. And if we got the service, then, I, then I'd get the goals and I'd keep myself in that spot. Um. I think when you take Johnny and I away, probably not as certain going on the pitch that I'm going to get the opportunities that I would have previously Um, and then it's about trying to do maybe do something different or get your goals in a different way so yeah uh, I'll I'll touch on the the wing thing I don't think Derek ever played me as a winger (laughs) I used to joke about this but um, he used to stick me out there but it's because he wanted me on the team because he believed I'd score the goals he needed to score the goals so at times he thought certain teams would, would play a certain formation and I think his thing was if he had Johnny on the left full or whoever, Shinny is a left back and he stuck me in the left wing, his intention for me as soon as we got the ball was, right, you get the ball, as soon as it comes across to the left-hand side of the pitch, you run in the box and just leave that wing free for whoever. Because it was Johnny and Noel, they're more than capable of getting up and down of themselves and not just getting the box for crosses. So I was never stuck out there as a tricky winger. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Well oh, yeah, I actually think I scored a hat trick for against St. John'son at home, and I'm sure I played left wing in that game because Stevie yeah. ended up drifting out wide. He tried to the middle. He drifted out wide and crossed a couple of balls to me, but um, yeah, so the, the tricky winger in me. But um, yeah, no, I think I was just trying to keep me in the in the team at certain games. He wanted to, he had to rely on someone that he knew would get him goals, so he he put me in whatever way he could. It might not always suit me in terms of how we'd play, but. I think he's just trying to find the right balance between players. We've got some good players. Say, say Greg Stewart, brilliant footballer, great player. Um, But probably haven't seen the best of him at Aberdeen as we've seen in other clubs. Uh, Gary McCoy even great player again, different type of player than Johnny and Niles. So we'd see come in, still trying to find his form after a few injuries and stuff. And, and was working hard. He used to working nuts off and trying and on the pitch and He'd run all day for you. But um, just he lacked getting that real confidence in front of goal, I think, again. Um, after his injury, so he, he just couldn't really get that form that he'd shown when he was younger for us but as I say I, I'd experienced that myself at certain clubs so yeah, um, for me it was just about battling away and trying to, to do my best force Forks back in that team All round it's a pretty
3: frustrating season again uh, for the club it's a League Cup exit to Motherwell and then it's all compounded by a, a pretty poor day out at Hamden for the Scottish Cup semi-final against Motherwell as well 3-0 defeat uh we spoke to Caddy Arneson very recently very cool man that he is and uh and he held his hands up and said it was a dreadful performance from him individually that day but um, what do you think why do you think we were so so poor that day? against Motherwell never really laid a glove on them
4: <sighs> i think we got we got almost got bullied um the up front who who worked hard done well. There, were, there were, obviously Louis Moult was doing, he was in great form at the time. Um once he got the early goal, we kinda of, we looked nervous. Um I think we'd lost a little bit. I think we could tell as a as a squad, we weren't the same as we had been in previous years in here. we'd lost Johnny, we'd lost now, we'd lost some experience, from Robbo and, and Willow and p- people like that who had that experience. Russell Anderson at the back who for them types of occasions we we solid for you. We'd lost a lot of our last seniors, and though we brought in a lot of good players. And even players now, you look at on to how well they've done, like Kenny's and stuff there. are the weren't experience as experienced we, as we once were. Um probably lacked a couple of leaders in terms of what, what we'd had previously. And I think we actually got bullied a bit that game. Um of course
3: of course as well. Um, we were missing through I think injury or suspension, Kenny McLean, Graham Shinney and Shea Logan. So that's three leaders.
4: You know Kenny Young, he's you still one of them. He would he'd, he'd get on the ball, he'd take the ball anywhere for and he would be on the pitch. He'd be trying to get a hold of it and get a hold of it. When you're lacking people like that in in a game like that, where you want to try and get someone, get some sort of control in the game, um, yeah, we I just think we got bullied.
3: Yeah, it was kind of like a bit of a team kind of thrown together because of obviously just limited personnel. I think you were playing kind of wide left, maybe not as a winger as you say, but I think Stevie May was playing through the middle, and you were on the left. Don Ball playing right back. And uh, in the middle was, I think, Anthony O'Connor and one Chidi and Quali.
4: Oh, yeah, Chidi. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not going to
3: lie. There's an idea about Chidi within the support of how his quality, shall we say, um, given where he'd come from, especially coming from Man City. Caddy um, said that he could do some amazing things in training, but we never really saw that. And that day he was, yeah, not brilliant. I'm not going to lie
4: yeah he came, he came in and um, yeah he's right you could in training do some stuff you think like, oh yeah he's got a bit but then in a lot of games I think he's just so erratic and um, you didn't know what where he would be fighting you. if you're going kind to of play in the middle pitch you kind of want someone in there where you know defensively he's going to be there for you or when you have the ball what he's going to do for you you weren't too sure what he was actually going to do and he didn't love a shot from 40 yards I think when we signed him people thought he scored his screamers and whatever league is in and I think most people kind of half expecting to do it every week. I think he hit one against Kilmarnock. I kind of remember he hit one of Kilmarnock away maybe hit a shot and hit the bar from 40 yards early on and I think everyone expected that every week from him but yeah I just don't think he needed I think he needed a bit of experience and game experience and playing and probably what he came to us for but I don't think we were the level he needed to be playing that to be honest I think he needed probably somewhere a bit more time and it wouldn't be as frantic as the Scottish League would be and taking rushed and needing that kind of defensive qualities because yeah, he wasn't. He defensively, he wasn't really switched on in there. He'd run around for you okay, but um, I don't think discipline wise, he'd be the most um, best player for a sitting midfield. Okay?
2: Yes, uh, after that uh, semi-final defeat, you featured off the bench for the remainder of the season. At that point, were you maybe starting to think that it might be time to move on from Aberdeen?
4: Uh, yeah, we obviously towards the whole end of last season. Um I think I had only two starts. Did I? I think I started maybe two games after that or or was that or was that my last start? I
0: think it was your last one, yeah, yeah.
4: Yeah, that was the last one. So I think that was since February. I think I had only two starts, you know. So um and have having the previous number of years there as kind of the main striker and playing nearly every week, week in, week out, um, was something to get used to. All right, I oh, know I missed the start of the season through injury and when you miss a pre season be difficult to get gone, but it's difficult coming in when you are wearing fully fit into a team that was completely different to probably what the previous season was in terms of the style and trying to adjust to that. So I think we had a lot of new faces, as we said earlier, trying to get players going, get them into a system that was suiting and trying to find that right balance of the team. But that meant I was in out the team, which is, as a player, you, you want to be playing every week. Um, if you're playing four or five games in the bounce, you can find some form when you're in and out for two games here to back out of the team, then can be frustrating. Um, so yeah, I was getting frustrated towards the end, uh, a bit disillusioned in terms of it, uh, I thought I produced the goods for what I'd done when I'd been brought in to score goals. I think I did 20 goals four seasons running now, so yeah, I, as far as I can concerned, I was doing what I was asked to do. Um, I can't remember what I got this season, I got about 11 goals that year, but I don't think I played anywhere near as an army wood and with kind of different service than it normally got. so I felt on my behalf, I, I was still delivering goals, but although I might not have been playing as well, I probably deserved more starts than I was getting.
0: 19th of July 2018, it's announced that you were moving to to Salford City then of the National League. Uh, how did that move kind of eventually come about? And did you have any doubts about moving away from Aberdeen?
4: Yeah, definitely. Was, oh, all sorts of entry my head, yeah. Um, I returned back for a pre season, and Derek had said to me that um, Gary Neville had rang him. <laughs> Just a, as a kind of like a funny story he said Gary Neville's been on about you and I hadn't a clue what he was on about and he obviously said hi oh, I want to sell for it they were asked and just they were just asked about you and he said listen basically I told him this, and you're know, like I oh, want anywhere, you're one of our main players and I was just just found it funny to have a miss call off Gary Neville but okay so forgot about it. and then I think a week or two later he did come back on again and since being touched my agent and, and after that it's Spoke to Mrs. and said, obviously, said, listen, Gary Neville had been on, Salford had been on. And then it kind of got me thinking about how the season had finished previously. I wasn't entirely happy the way it had gone and not playing as much alike because he had come in, Steve Maves there, um, and I'd not really played. And I kind of said, I don't fancy falling out of favour at the club and and end up eventually leaving this club in bad terms because um, it'd been the highlight of my career, it'd been at Aberdeen and, and how well I got on with people that listen we had our first child there we lived out in Ellen We great little life out there fans brilliant everyone around the city great got on great fans. I didn't want to turn sour um I thought if it turned if it went on for the start of the season for the next two three months and I was sitting on the bench again and getting the last five ten minutes here then it would turn sour because I wasn't prepared to do that I was just turning 30 um I don't know football people tell you, once you get to 30, it's hard to get a contract. Although, no matter how good you feel, I feel fine still now. But at that time, that's what you used to get told. It's hard to get contracts once you go beyond a certain age, you pick up injuries. So I didn't know how many years I had left me in terms of playing at a decent level or playing at any level. Um, but I wasn't sure. Um, My brother had just recently gone through, he'd gone through some um, health problems with testicular cancer and stuff. So I was a bit wary of making sure I was enjoying me football again because you never know what can happen. And I wanted to spend the next few years of my career enjoying me football again. And I could just sense that I was maybe setting the time where whether Derek lost a bit of faith in me as a player or he didn't think he had the right players in to provide the service for me, which was another option. Um, was just a few things all kind of coming together. Um, obviously, it wasn't easy to, to leave. Options to go elsewhere in the Scottish League, but it wouldn't have felt too right at the time going to another club in Scotland. Um, and then obviously got to speak to the Salford and what they had planned on doing, And I kind of foreseen that as I'd come to Aberdeen, I kind of made myself a bit of a hero. And um, I, I seen if i got go to Salford and help get them into the football league uh, and, and achieve what they wanted to achieve, I could possibly go and recreate that type of scenario in terms of making myself a bit of a hero at a football club and, and get back and enjoying football, playing week in, week out. So... There's a number of reasons to it. There was, there was never any fallout between me and Derek. He was brilliant. He actually said, listen, I'm going to take a lot of flack off the fans for letting you go. Um, he says, I understand it, but he he said it would have been great for him and he'd never stand me away if it was something that I thought we'd done and we just agreed that it may be best. Um, but yeah, no, never fell out with Derek. Never got, oh, he's got on realm, got on great with him and Doc and to be fair, as I say, he did say he was going to take a lot of stick for, it'd be a one for the fans um, and he'd, he'd have to take the flack for it. But yeah, so eventually you decided to make the move, but it wasn't an easy decision.
0: And so you depart Aberdeen, having made a total of 197 appearances, scoring 88 goals in the process, which sees you 18th at the time of recording on the all-time AFC top scorer list. Although I think Neil again is one off you.
4: I'm praying he's in the bad run. I hope he has a drill. All the assists
0: he wants, but no,
4: I actually <laughs> message about every time he scores. like, oh like, are you still scoring?
0: <laughs> and uh, one League Cup winners medal, runners-up medals in the League Cup and the Scottish Cup as well. So you then, say, make the move to Salford. Help them make the move. They step up into league football for the first time via the playoffs. Um, before then, you've moved to Solihull Moors where you remain at the moment. Aspirations for Solihull, um for the remainder of this season?
4: To try and get us promoted to the football league, um, similar so when I left for itself, it was the whole intention was to help get the club into the football league. We managed to do that, and then the, the same intention was when I signed here was to was to get us in. I had a stinker of a start, and um, we signed. I think COVID struck the next day. Literally, the COVID game set getting called off the next day. We were pushing. I think we had eight or nine games to get into the playoffs. We were about two points outside, and. The league got cancelled and I went to points per game. So I missed that season. Last season, then I was out for four months with a hamstring injury. I know people think I'm not quick enough to pull a hammy, but apparently I... <laughs> um, so I was out for four months and then it wasn't going great. So this year, we're, we're not far off the playoffs at I a minute. Mean, I think we're more than capable of getting in there. So no, that's the aspirations this year, to try and hopefully get us into the Football League. Good, good. We're
3: uh, And we wish you all the best in that. Turning back to your time at Aberdeen, can you... Uh... Pick out a
4: favourite goal for yourself in the in the red shirt. Goal. Um, quite a few. The penalty obviously doesn't count as a penalty, but yeah. No, I obviously like the St Johnson body just because I can show me little lad now. He's old enough to know to football and he realised I ought to score him two yards out. Um <laughs> yeah, no, I enjoyed that one. I enjoyed my left foot goal against Livingston in the cup for the hat in the hat trick. I think oh, goodie yeah on the back heel flick and have f- smashed him with my left. Um really enjoyed the St Johnson header. So that's the quarterfinal quarterfinal yeah and the Hibs 11 seconds just because I can say I made a half a pitch in 11 seconds I never <laughs> <laughs> yeah no no, probably yeah the St. John's is probably obviously up there it's a fair shout yeah loads of good memories So,
2: if you could change one thing from your time at Aberdeen what would it be um having to spend so much time with Shay Logan early on. We used to play <laughs> <laughs> used to play pool
4: every day. The two of us moved up there together and went to play Riley every day, to play Snooker. Um no, uh no, I wouldn't have any really regrets. Um I was obviously thinking listen, the score at pen against Maribor but the, I mean, the penalty record was decent there. I can't really complain about missing one or two. Um I still don't think we win that game even if it's score,
2: to be honest. We the ref would have found something. I, I was gonna say there was no way. We were coming out of that regardless of what you did.
4: Yeah, semi final against St. Johnson. We felt it was a chance missed by us. We had a couple of chances. I had a chance to scored. I think Nile had a chance to score. Um, but yeah, again, no, no real regrets, to be honest. I've enjoyed every moment. You obviously wish you could have won more of the cups that were there. Wish we you didn't get we've been injuries at same times, but you can't live life looking at that. So, um, no, majority of the time, it was all happy.
0: Listen, Adam, we'll, we'll wrap things up here. Um, we've taken up more time um, than we deserve to get from you um, we really appreciate the time we're going to ask one last question it's the same question we finish up all of our interviews with what does Aberdeen Football Club mean to you?
4: No a massive massive part of my life Aberdeen is an area as um, I would say I had a four, had fourth born child there Um the area I love living out in London the, the whole city um, came at a time and as I would say it's and a couple of clubs where I've not fully enjoyed it, and looking to get back and really get going my career again. And, and thankfully, that's where it happened. That's the the best parts of my career so far. Even to this day, is still me time time Aberdeen. Um, and we still have plenty of friends and family up there. Um, sorry, no family. We haven't got any family up there. <laughs> I think <still laughs> <laughs> I've been friends up there. Um, but yeah, so we still keep in touch with people. Uh, and yeah, still keep me eye out. Still speak to a lot of people at the club. They still get me to. The links for some of the games, so little uh, likes to watch some of the football sometimes. And yeah, now massive part, massive part of my my um, life and my career. So yeah, no, I'm only grateful for my time and everything.
0: Great stuff, Adam. Thanks very much for joining us on the ABZ Football Podcast. All the best to you and Solihull Moors for the rest of the season. Thank you, and yours. Stand free. Cheers. All right. And that wraps up this week's episode of the ABZ Football Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Please remember to like, subscribe, follow, whatever on your podcast. Player of choice, join us next week for episode 31, where we'll review our fixtures against Celtic and the Motherwell and the fallout from same, positive or negative. We'll have our usual look at our Loneys and Lone watch. We'll see how our women's team got on in their fixture against Spartans before we turn our attention to our premiership fixtures at Fir Park and our rearranged tie against St Johnston. And we'll then round things off with the latest in our line of interviews with Don's personalities of past And present and this week It's part one of a two-parter That's right, we've even taken the liberty Of splitting this one into two parts Because we thought you couldn't deal With four hours in your lugs It's a man who joined Aberdeen initially on loan In January 2012 Went on to make 237 appearances Scoring seven goals in red He's placed joint 63rd On the all-time AFC appearance list With AFC Hall of Famer Peter Weir He's a 2014 League Cup winner It's Mark Reynolds And we look forward to seeing you then Stand free! This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast was brought to you in association with Maritime Developments Limited, specialists in lifting equipment maintenance for the global energy sectors. MDL work with asset owners to understand their challenges and efficiently overcome them. From periodical maintenance through integration of new systems to resolving obsolescence issues, they will help extend your equipment's life safely at minimum cost or inconvenience. To optimise your equipment maintenance budget and schedule, get in touch at MaritimeDevelopments.com.